I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch is having strange feelings about Joan Cusack. I think I think they're relatively I hate saying the word normal. Yeah, they're normie feelings. Yeah, they are pretty normie feelings. I would say this is the only movie I've ever seen, and no offense to the to the Cusick family, a, a, a proud Chicago family, but this is the first movie I've ever seen where I've been like, Joan Cusack is making my heart flutter. Yeah, I mean Maybe she, it's because I want a woman to murder me. Uh, here's the thing. I'm just gonna say it right now. Yeah. I remember this movie as her surviving and i was very surprised when she turned into powder um yeah she gets uh straight up uh powder rated she gets power rated she gets power rated powder aided she gets power rated powder dated powder she gets power dated yeah she uh, we get to see her skeleton and it's glorious it's glorious (laughs) i'd like to see her skeleton? Ooh. I'd like to see Daniel Stern's skeleton. End of list. I, I'd i like to see everyone's skeletons when it's skeleton appropriate, like in Sorry. x-rays. Sorry. End of list. Next list. Everyone else <laughs> all, in the, all the universe. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm good with that. So what are we doing here, Aaron? I don't know. Where we love to watch our movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And we're in a new month. It's June. School's out, suckers. School. You'll never see me out again. For children. It's actually not out for my daughter yet. Uh, June. Uh, school in Minnesota goes to June eleventh. Wow. June eleventh. Well, it, it goes beyond D Day. Yeah, I, I know. That was actually my biggest, my biggest problem. How are we gonna celebrate the greatest generation? <laughs> You know, the greatest generation who left things so great for us, along with their fucking dumbass kids, the boomers. Um, They solved the Nazi problem. We didn't have to deal with Nazis anymore. Yeah, and then the boomers brought it back. Their own kids. The final act of rebellion. How ironic. Mm. 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 (laughs) We got a real Marge Simpson (laughs) attitude towards Nazis coming back. Mm. Mm. I don't like like it, homie. homie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, but school's out for most, um, and we're, we decided to do, what do you watch when there's no school? You have all the time in the world to watch TV, and what did the fucking networks used to do? Uh, how about shit you've already seen? <laughs> uh, summer reruns. And so we're doing summer reruns, which for us does not mean that you have to watch, um, this, the episodes of TJF that you've already seen. For us, it means, uh, the 90s trend of remaking classic 60s and 70s television shows as big 
budget. Actually, I think that somewhat holds true. Movie adaptations to Back varying. They de- call them programs. Yeah, to varying degrees of success, and we're we basically have a, a literal shit sandwich going on because <laughs> our bookend, our our beginning and our ending are. Really, the only I think slam dunk entries in this, at least for the '90s comedy sitcom type stuff. I think that's true, and they're both double features. So we're starting today with the Adams Family, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld from 1991, and also covering the better of the two movies, Adams Family Values, also directed by Barry Sonnenfeld from 1993. And uh, then we're doing the 1994 adaptation of The Flintstones. Which is a it's a big pass for us, but at least it has some interesting things to look at. And yeah, uh, and, and we have I have some actually nice things to say about it in comparison to the Adams family. We'll get there. Okay, um, ominous, <laughs> like nice things compared to all the shit you're about to talk for the Adams family. <laughs> no, I, I I I quite like both of these movies, as I uh, quite like both Brady Bunch. It's because it's because Jay Leno's in the Flintstones movie. Huge fan, yeah, as you can like tell that. from our Collision Course episode, Great which, was, app. which was an hour and a half on uh, why <laughs> why the late night wars happened. Have, and you, have you seen this? 45 you minutes this? On, the host we love to watch hate fucking Jay Leno. And then, and then 45 minutes on a dumb racist piece of shit movie. What a racist piece of shit movie that was. Uh, then we're doing what may be the worst movie of all time, 1993's The Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, and then we, but we finish it up on a very positive note, which is uh, the Brady Bunch movie from 95 and its sequel. It's also better than the original. A very Brady sequel from 1996. But we're starting where it makes sense to start for something like this, which is the Adams Family movies. It was essentially the first, um, not really the first uh, big screen remake of a classic uh, television show. It was bested by two movies. Uh, give or take, like, what you call Lassie. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, but but some of those were just, like, movie sequels to the show. But we'll, we'll, we don't want to get into that. Um, but the, the true, like, kind of remakes were Car 54, Where Are You? Which is a movie that doesn't exist, and it made $300,000 at the box office. So why talk about it here? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the show. Uh, I'm not familiar with the movie that came out. Uh, yeah, and I really like one of the co- one of the stars of that film, and I'd like to not sully... Uh, who's i don't even know who's in it who's in the movie it's uh not john c Riley. what's his name john john mcginley okay great uh and then dragnet which is actually uh kind of a fun movie that would be interesting to talk about at some point which is <laughs> it would have fit nicely in this month not sure why no one stopped me well we had to do the beverly hillbilly so you could pay homage to jim varney's garbage filmography we could, have, um, we could have easily switched out Beverly Hillbillies easy. for um, for Dragnet and had a better time. Well, here's – but I will say, like, Dragnet, even though it came four years before this movie, it's kind of its own weird thing, right? It's doing a 50s yes. show. It's, it's, a, it's like – I think Pat Proft, who wrote for some of the Naked Gun movies, like, had a hand writing it. It is very much an 80s parody mode. And that's why it was such a surprising discovery when I saw it in high school – because it really was, like, goofy and wild and fun in the way, like, you know, not the best Naked Gun airplane, you know, type style movies are. But, yeah, it's like, it's like a Hot Shots type. Like, it's, like, as good as the first Hot Shots movie, but not as good as the second 
hot shots movie um yeah and we i i feel like our month was pure for not having included agree like beverly Hill, hillbillies is more purely what we're talking about well and beverly hillbillies uh, we would have had more fun talking about drag 100 percent. um so but that didn't start a trend right like the the trend starter and the thing that made so many of these uh pop up in the 90s uh, was 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 this movie the first movie we're going to talk about today, which is the Adams Family? Big success, made something like you know two hundred forty million dollars worldwide on a thirty million dollar budget. Not only spawns the sequel, but spawns this trend that really uh, you know Beverly Hillbillies and Fugitive come out, and the sequel to this come out in ninety three, and then you start having uh, more and more until the uh, like uh, Dennis the Menace and uh and uh, uh flintstones and then you really you know i now get... think we could have a second month because i really want to talk about the fugitive uh yeah fugitive. well i mean i think this is sitcom you know this feels fits yeah. well with sitcoms like because it, it kept going right like mod squad that's when like the late Purity 90s over quality yeah the, ni- the late 90s is when even the suspect quality that existed as a whole on these movies is so bad that no one goes and no one sees the Leave It to Beaver one. No one sees the Mod Squad. No one sees the Avengers, the non superhero based one. And then, um, you know, eventually they kind of stop making them for a little bit until, of course, like every movie trend, they pick back up. So, th- but this was pretty like you know when I think of like the the early nineties when it comes to movie going to me. This was like the time in my life, Peter. I know you were just a little baby boy. You wanted to be a big boy, but you're a little baby boy um goo goo gaga yeah and now you're a little baby boy when you lose at video games <laughs> <laughs> but then you were just a literal baby if, if you had let me be toad i would have won yeah but th- th- these are science facts if i let you be toad in super smash brothers uh yeah if you had let me be nathan drake in playstation all-stars the classic game that everyone knows all about. If you let me be Nathan Drake in the Uncharted 3 multiplayer that everyone forgets existed. <laughs> I, it was huge. It was huge. Eight to ten people played it a week. Like, But this, like all these movies we're about to talk about, and like everything else that was playing in the theaters was like ubiquitous. Like if you had to tell like I could probably off the dome, like say, here's what movies not only were playing in theaters in 1995, summer... But, like, uh, what I went to see and how many times I went to see it. Just because, like, uh, you know, a couple things. One, uh, we had a theater. So, before I had, like, the ability and freedom to, like, go and ride my bike across town to, like, the... So, we we lived... This is too much detail. But we lived at the center of Bismarck, North Dakota. And then on each end of the town, which is not that far. Like, (laughs) it's Bismarck, North Dakota. there's There's a mall. And both malls have a movie theater. And then uh, for, like, the first four years, we live in this this house, and we moved there from, like, 90 to 94, there's a twin cinema. A yeah, there's dun, a twin dun, cinema dun, three dun, blocks dun, from my dun, house. Dun, dun. Uh, and my dad, because he worked at a radio station that advertised for this this chain, Carmike, we had a this yellow laminated pass that means that we could go to any of those theaters and just say, four tickets, three tickets, one ticket, whatever else, right? So anything that was, like, uh pg to g and anything that was pg-13 later like in 95 i could go see and i saw everything right everything that i could see especially during the summer spring and fall months like i would go see it i would see it so many times so like a lot of these movies i saw over and over even if i didn't like them like i think i saw the flintstones movie which i was not like 
head over heels over, but it was playing in the Twin Cinema three blocks from my house. I probably saw it four or five times in theaters, right? Because it's showing two movies. You know, one's like Rising Sun, which I can't see. And one's the Flintstones, so I see Flintstones. Speaking of, speaking of a racist, useless movie. Yeah. Now, that's kind of the lay of that. Then there's another theater called Grand Theaters, which, fun fact, is the only one still in Bismarck, North Dakota, um, that got all, most of the... It usually didn't get the big movies. It was rare that a big movie went to Grand. It was this locally owned like theater that wasn't part of a bigger chain and didn't have all the stuff. And they, they would usually get like, like they didn't, the way I could describe it is they didn't get Ninja Turtles one or two, but they got Ninja Turtles three. So I didn't see that (laughs) in theaters. Right. Like that's, that's kind of like they got the movies that made $20 million at the box office. But, but because of the way, and I actually meant to research this just for myself, not that it's interesting. Like now, in where I live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, it doesn't matter if I go to an AMC or a Marcus or any of those types of things, or lo- you know, just locally owned. They all pl- they all have access to the same movies. For some reason, I don't know if it was a market thing. I don't know if it was a, a different way that theaters used to operate. Only one chain got the theater, like got a movie, and they used to they used to have the guy on Walt, who man, who was the general manager of the the Mid Continent Theaters, uh, on my dad's show. And they used to talk about like we're trying we're trying to bid to get this one because they would ask like are you guys going to get this movie, right? So what happened though was is that surprise hits we we didn't usually like usually went to this grand theater because a lot of times something like an Adams Family or Adams Family Values um, that wasn't expected to do really well wouldn't end up at the theater that I could go see for three for free, and then. I won't get a chance to see it. So Beverly Hillbillies, Brady Bunch, uh, all these movies I saw in theaters and I saw them many times. These movies specifically because of this thing where like my parents never went to Grand Theater because why pay for it when we have free movies to all these other movies when we can just rent it later. I didn't see I didn't get a chance to see either of these in theaters. And my parents were a little bit like this seems too horny and it's PG-13. They didn't say horny. But, like, there was, like, a... And know. this one's not horny enough! Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, I, I told you, you asked me, did uh, did I show this to my six-year-old daughter who loves, who saw the animated remake, which is hot garbage, but, like, loves uh, spooky stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I remember these movies being super horny, so I didn't show them to her. I think that's only true of the second one. I could show her the first one next Halloween. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. There's a little bit of horniness, but it's not as horny... And murdery as as Adam's Family Values, which again is why why that's what's better. So I didn't see Peter the Adam's Family movie until I was able to tape it off TV, which would have been a couple years later. I taped this and Adam's Family Values off TV, and I I think this is why I, th- I thought uh, what's her name uh, survives at the end of it. I somehow like you know the way it was like some it was doing a double feature on Thanksgiving in like ninety four or five after like a football game so somewhere in my VCR timer setting I missed the beginning of the Adams Family and I missed the end of Adams Family Values by trying to record it and I now that I'm watching these I'm not a hundred percent sure I ever went back in any other media and rewatched them or or not to like or i watched them at like a college party and not enough to pay attention because i legitimately thought that joan cusack survived so this is 
Adam, I, I, I think I actually, uh, this is one of the only series that I've had a, a true effect on the rest of my family because I'm the baby of, of yeah. uh, you know, four Well, kids. and Charlie, your uh, brother, was supposed to guest on these episodes because of when I was at your bachelor weekend, um, you guys, like, your brother was insistent on putting on Adam's family values, like, yeah. the whole weekend. And then he, he he got like I think it's the only that and One Hot American Summer were the only two movies that were played in its entirety. And when Adam, you reach a point where you're just so loaded you can't talk anymore. Yeah, and then you're like we're we're putting on a movie. But he was like adamant, adamant, uh, of putting on Adam's Family Values, uh, and that was so funny to me. Um, like. He's just like it's Peter. a specific poll. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, of course, like it's a familial poll, which is why we were hoping to get him to guess. But unfortunately, uh, his band second time around is on tour again. Uh, phone never stops ringing. You know, COVID. He had a big tour. It was like Europe, Germany, uh, Australia, Lake, Japan, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, he, he must skank again. If Ska's not going to come back post COVID, then I guess the answer is never. So they had a big, <laughs> like. Everyone's ready to give up on life. Everyone's depressed. Like, now's the time for a band with eight people just dancing. Everyone knows that. So uh, he, he, you know, had that tour that was canceled for second time around. And then, but because of all the, va- the, the vaccines and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's starting again. So otherwise he'd be here. But he, he would be here. singing some Love of his hit songs, here. Peter, which you know so well. It's, it's, I get it. It's, a, it's an audience that's waiting for him. Yeah. Can you all, sing all... three to five of his songs uh, front to back quick? Uh, just to just to jog everyone's memory. Second time around. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so they got like a whole steady vibe where they like say their the own the band name quite a lot. It's uh it's called branding. Ever heard of it? No, that's why I'm not in a band. <laughs> not because I'm not musical, but because I'm terrible at branding. <laughs> they should call it banding. Uh, they should. They should call it banding. Because of all the bands that need the brands. Do you know that um, the term branding comes from... Um, the word banding? When they would take mem- the lead member of the band, the most um, uh, sexy and eloquent member of the band, and actually sear them uh-huh. with a Columbia Records logo um right on their ass yeah that was in chapter one of most of my elementary school history books <laughs> it's like we never got to world war ii because of timing but uh it was a lot of war of 1812 and <laughs> the sony logo branded into bands asses <laughs> specifically uh yeah so anyways three to four more songs if you if you she's got a girlfriend now she has a girlfriend now she has a girlfriend now. My favorite is uh, an ode to jorts, jorts in parentheses, <laughs> where they talk a lot about, check out my homemade jorts. <laughs> Jorting up a good time. Good yeah. time. Call me Michael Jorton. <laughs> they were a Chicago area band. They were just I know, playing to the local. So, so many Chicago era references. And they invented like, the the verb Jordan, yeah. um, which uh, is now in common parlance today. Taking a ride on the beat in my jorts. <laughs> There's going to be a, secret. a, a secret. Google usage uh, map on the term Jordan. <laughs> There's going to be one spike in 2002. And then there's going to be another spike 
Yeah, the the Bean and Jordan. That's from the cut fourth verse of of uh, Ode to My Jorts parentheses Jorts. <laughs> the studio was like, too much Chicago stuff, guys, and they're like, pizza pie, deep dish. And they're like, all right, you guys are crazy. Keep doing what you're doing. We're gonna no make notes. it like no we're notes. gonna make it like the secret third verse of Friends in Low Places that we only sing in concert and everyone knows it. <laughs> uh, God. Anyways, yeah, uh, so he couldn't be here because of all that. So Peter, you 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 did have a huge connection to these movies in a way that like I loved them and then like ended up thinking values was funnier because I had a huge Huge crush on Christina Ricci as all ten year old boys in the It's 90s a it's too. a rite of passage, and by that I mean I, I'm still in that. <laughs> I mean I'm not I'm not I don't have a crush on ten year old Christina Ricci anymore. Yeah. But, um, yeah, now I mean I was fifteen she's 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 always been about fifteen years older than me, but um Yeah, she I mean she was always she was uh three years older than me, like I said. I think I, I think I knew <laughs> I think I looked it up at one point. Um I uh when I was when I was a kid, I think I went to the this is true. I th- She's so, eleven years older than me. That's not that bad. Okay. Um we can make so it work. I the only time I've ever stole anything in my life that I can remember. I don't I don't know if I Except for my stole. heart. Uh yeah. Well and quit playing games with that, even if it's stolen. Because you could if you break it, you can't return it later. Mm-hmm. It's hot merchandise. Uh, uh I I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast uh ever. Maybe I have. Uh, but I, the only thing I've ever stolen in my life was I, so Casper, uh, she's in Casper and I saw that in theaters like five times. And that was, I think that was actually the movie that I saw probably around the same time that I saw these movies for the first time because of the lag. And, uh, I was like, it, it was a hundred percent my first, like a uh, celebrity crush, like as a, as a 11 year old that lasted for quite a long time. Like you said, to this day, but I've grown with her at the same time, not, not about her Casper. <laughs> she has a, but, you get older, but Christina Ricci and Casper keep saying the same age. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like <laughs> her and Devin, uh, and Devin Sawa as, as a uh, human Casper. Uh, he's so, lived uh, a life, okay? Please delete he's everything. Li- he's just... lived not, not a long life, but a life. If he's played by Devin Sawa in 1995. Uh so I, uh, they had playing cards for every movie back then. I bought, I was at this like card shop and they had out like these examples of the type of playing cards that you could get in a Casper pack. And one of them was this picture of, it was just like a, like a, almost a trading card pose of Christina Ricci. Well, guess what? In 1995, it's, you can't just have a picture of someone you have a crush on. It's very difficult. Like there's no, I don't have the internet. So I was like, oh, that I would want, I want that card. Then I can. Uh, look at the person that I have a crush at. At, literally, not on. At, because she was never aware. Uh, to this day. Until now, Christina Ricci, welcome to We Love to Watch. <laughs> um, that'd be the best ambush. Um, so I, plus I think she would support shoplifting uh, in general. I would hope. Um, I mean, she's not one owner writer. You're not. Uh, so anyway, so I, but I, I bought a pack of cards and a pack of cards was like three bucks, which is like three bucks in 1995 for an 11-year-old is a lot of fucking money. It was like so I bought it and shockingly, it's like $200 today. I didn't get a Christina Ricci card. I didn't get one with her picture. I got like the fart ghosts and like fucking Bill Pullman. Like, what am I going to do with any of this? So um, my, my friend, Steven, who I was there with, was taught, ta- like knew, I said, I, I was like, because I, I remember leaving the store. And he knew, like, I told him what I was trying to get. 
and I didn't get it. And then he talked to the store owner while I like took and stole the car, the Christina Ricci card and left with it. Um, and I think honestly, if I would have been caught now that I look back on it, he would not have done anything because why would he have cared about that? He probably would have thought it was a little sad, but, uh, but yeah, so I, uh, my, my shoplifting history is a hundred percent Christina Ricci related. Um, wow. Um, I have never honored any of my crushes by stealing, um, for them. Well, yeah. Would you steal Um, a car? It would be incredibly funny if you ended up in uh, Rikers Island for... Just for telling that story. <laughs> and I love the idea of them sending you from Bismarck, North Dakota to Rikers Island because he stole Oh, you want to look at a pretty face? didn't even have the card you wanted. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I stole... Well, no, that's the problem. Yeah, I, I guess they probably would have let me keep the fart ghost cards. <laughs> That excuse me the 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 convenience store owner or whatever has requested that you not return these cards. <laughs> oh great! Oh great! I got the the fart ghost played by not even Raymond from Everybody Loves Raymond, but that brother that everyone hates. It's the only person everyone hates on that show, Robert Barone. <laughs> you got the fart ghost played by. I'm just an 11 year old kid on the verge of thinking about masturbating. And instead, I get the Robert Barone fart ghost card. Robert Barone. Great, great. <laughs> Masturbate to this kid. Ah, ah, my brother won't stop telling children to masturbate. <laughs> what? What if, what if I? What if I morph my head into Mel Gibson? Remember that part of Casper. Ah, you 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 actually sound a lot more like Mel Gibson than Robert Barron. Uh, well, you're doing a Fred Stoller, so I don't know what the fuck. You're, <laughs> you're breaking you're breaking the 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 fourth wall here. People thought that <laughs> Ray was on the show. Anyways, what's your history with this movie, and why didn't you steal any cards of the women that you loved? <laughs> I didn't steal any cards; just stole the hearts. Um, but uh. No, I uh, I grew up with these movies, but Adam's. At, 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 I think as uh, the youngest of four, and my oldest sister is ten years older than me. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of influence on like what the family classics were. Generally speaking, like any time that I was in love with the movie, generally speaking, it did not become family canon. Um, the Adams Family movies were movies that like were around in the house, but they were just like you know movies. Um, and I kept pushing. I was like, Adam's Family Values is the good one. That's the good one. That's the good one. And then it became a Thanksgiving movie for us, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, looking yeah. back, like, kind of funny because it's just about... It has, like... It takes place in the summertime, but it has, like, one sequence that's entirely about the first Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it became a Thanksgiving movie, and it's also... It's a family movie. It's a family comedy, like, whatever. Like, we can play it in the room with a bunch of kids, and, like, you know, some of the jokes look over their head, and some of them are like, Dad, is it true that when Leo comes, we're going to have to kill me? <laughs> like, um, but, uh, yeah, this is this is one that has uh, I have been able to get into the family canon, which is a, a rare, rare feat um, for a little baby brother, little baby boy of 30 <laughs> Got it. So your reason for liking this movie is a little bit of spite, right? Like, not spite directed at this movie, but spite 
in how uh, limited your control was in cannon shaping. Uh, yes. And the fact that this one is like so fresh, so vibrant, it rewards you um, as a kid for getting some of the jokes. And then as you get older, the jokes just like get richer and richer. Um, and I think the trick there is you just make a movie for adults. Um, and then some of those jokes end up being juvenile enough that a five-year-old can get it. Uh, I think that's the trick. You don't, you don't try and make a movie that has jokes for one camp versus the other. You just decide you're making an adult movie in a children's setting and then, uh, hope that the kids catch on when the parents start laughing. Yeah. And like, I'm actually, I'm a little surprised how almost reserved joke wise the adams family is compared to values like oh yeah (laughs) like it um like i like adams family but it is definitely um it's definitely more staid it's a little more boring it's getting off a lot on novelty and visuals in the same way my guess is that's where you're comparing to flintstones as opposed to like really hitting the comedy bits as much as i think like the sequel real i I think the sequel realizes how much uh room it could have and it like it uses all of the space available to it which i actually think is a little different than the other like two good movies we'll be comparing it to at the end of this month brady bunch where i think um uh, both brady bunch movies are both joke machines it's that they just change the direction of the jokes where uh you know simplistically the first movie really takes aim at like episode plots and then the uh, with a which then ancillary has some jokes about the characters but it's really focused on the their specific episode plots being carried through the movie where uh very brady sequel is like well let's basically do a whole new episode and then really drill down into what makes these characters fun to laugh at and with uh and and adam's family is just like it, it's almost like the same tenor at working at two different speeds like like the first movie is like going through a nice residential area like you get where you're going you you know sometimes it goes from 25 to 35 miles per hour it's pleasant it's nice and then like adam's family value is like well let's just take the interstate so we can get home yeah i I, the way i view it that's a good metaphor the way i view it personally is is that sequels are almost always uh, more limber than the original or yeah. very often more limber than the original you don't have to set stuff up not necessarily for for good reason right yeah. like um sometimes like home alone 2 um is far more limber than the original it gets to do wilder jokes way more characters it gets to go to new york all of that <laughs> um it gets to do way more settings more scenes sequels can uh, sequels can be more limber but what adam but uh what uh, home alone 2 loses is like humanity and warmness that the original has Mm -hmm. um the amazing thing about adam's family values is that it becomes more limber it it mixes up the locations it has uh, a more rich set of characters um the characters feel more realized i guess since the last movie i mean basically the kids weren't characters in the first movie they're just kind of like ciphers for jokes and then the parents are doing all the plotting in the sequel, it's like they they like the kids have grown up just enough that they can um, be active agents in the plot. <clears throat> the movie moves faster. It introduces a baby character, which is usually the death knell of a sequel. Um, 
And then it's, and then, uh, but it, it maintains all the warmth and the heart and the character of the original. And that's mm-hmm. why it's such a triumph to me because like it does what sequels are supposed to do. It's, it, it, uh, it, it, uh, moves forward to a, a little bit of a faster pace, a wider scope. Um, but it doesn't lose what the original is because like, while there's movies like, like that's the, the endless debate about alien versus aliens is like al- the original alien uh has a very like deep and like molasses like beautiful kind of like um richness to it um and then the and then aliens loses a lot of that richness but it makes up for it in other ways and so there's always this kind of internal debate because aliens is so much more limber um but aliens couldn't exist without alien like you were pointing at um and adam's family values wouldn't work as well if they didn't have the adam's family yeah. Sort of as a warm up. It's a place setting. It's getting the. It's getting most of the actors in place. Removing some actors. <laughs> removing one actor in particular. Um. Yeah. I. I think. Yeah. I. Would, I would normally give MCM values the higher rating, but I missed that Hadea. Okay, you're losing the Hadea, which is always bad, right? However, <clears throat> I do think Carol Kane is a better grandmama. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a little sad. It's a little sad because, like, the original grandmama is totally, totally ser- serviceable. She doesn't um, have much of a. She doesn't have much to do in the first one. She doesn't have much to do. Not that Carol Kane also don't has, either. Like, yeah. And then Carol Kane comes in, and she's like, she has like rapport with Christopher Lloyd and the whole cast. She's sillier. They give her better lines. Like it, it's 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 partially a function of who Carol Kane is as a gifted comedic performer. It's also uh, a function of what the script uh, uh, offers her. And like it sounds like the original performer who was, uh, but it sounds like Judith Molina was just like, uh, yeah, they just didn't call me for the sequel. <laughs> like it wasn't like it was like, like she, oh, we can go a little bit bigger cast wise. She didn't. She didn't have a um personal conflict she wasn't disgusted at the nature of the movie yeah. similar to you know brady bunch versus a very brady sequel they were like we're cutting a lot of the cameos for this because the original cast is not gonna like what we're doing here yeah <laughs> uh it's not that it is not that you know the, the thing that i think both of these movies get really right is even though it has a plot that involves the family both of them are essentially like kind of surrounding this this Fester kind of being an outsider to the family. It's not doing what the unsuccessful versions of these movies do, which we're going to talk about laying Flintstones, which is like, hey, you know this comedy about these two buddies and these two families that are friends in a weird prehistoric world? What if they fucking hate each other and there's a villain trying to frame one to go to prison? And like, this is more like, you know, there's there's plot machinations in 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 these but it's not like like can you imagine how fucking terrible these movies would be if like gomez falls in love with someone else like like or or like their marriage is crumbling or something like that like the adams family movies and the brady bunch movies for that for that matter like part of the reason and we'll kind of prove this throughout the course of this month is why why they succeeded is they didn't they they tried to get big budget adventures without saying well the only thing we can do that will be bigger than the tv show that preceded it is to tear it apart and that's the mistake i think beverly hillbillies makes a little bit uh plinstones makes quite a bit and movies that are so bad like dennis the menace or something like that which like runs out like instead of this this show about this 
little precocious kid who annoys this old neighbor, but they're secretly love. There's fucking robbers and a rare plant and like all these things that they introduce that just have no place. And that that is really what sinks it. And, you know, these movies stay like, again, they introduce stakes and they introduce conflict and stuff like that. But it's not doing it that feels outside of theoretically what made the TV shows uh, so enjoyable. So let's let's quickly talk about that. Peter, did you get a chance to watch an Adams Family episode? I know a couple of these, it's kind of a weird month because like Brave Bunch, I've seen almost every episode. Flintstones, I saw a ton as a kid. I had not seen Beverly Hillbillies or I, The Adams Family until, but uh, I did watch The Adams Family, the uh, couple random episodes before recording this. I did. <clears throat> the TV show ran a scant two seasons. Uh they only managed to knock out 64 episodes. <laughs> I know. Uh, and, you know, and it was it was literally aired back to back with The Munsters, which also only ran for two seasons. <clears throat> uh different like competing networks. Uh and those two seasons of The Munder- Munsters uh ran a scant 70 episodes. So, I I really like, I really adore Fred Gwynn and a lot of the cast of the Monsters, but the that show never worked for me. And there's a key thing that like it separates the Monsters from the Adams family. And like, this is sort of a cliche at this point, but I feel like it's worth talking about because these shows are kind of becoming more obscure as time goes on. So yeah, um, why not? <clears throat> it's that the Monsters were always trying to be normal and would actually um, actively actively work to um beat out all their monstrousness uh uh actively try and beat out their monstrousness whereas uh the adams family they were just they they just were they they existed as a family they were actually a very functional family yeah they're very sweet and loving and like morticia and gomez have like a very like very fun uh, relationship very fun sexual relationship where they feed each other's they they uh they they uh yeah super sexual for 1964 i was like at a time when i think people still had separate beds like seeing fucking gomez like just chew up morticia's neck like was like oh okay i yes i i i love it and i watched a couple of episodes of the original show and what i found very sweet about it is that like they are a very supportive family and they're like uh sort of proto goth or goth kind of tendencies are um just part of the fun like it's not it's not like um the, oh, since they're such a dark family, they need to be uh, dysfunctional assholes to one another. Yeah. Like, obviously, those moments pop up because it's a family show, but like, uh, they don't, they either are unaware that they're not normal or don't care. And that's the fun thing about these two movies, uh, the two movie adaptations, is that because the first one, they seem more uh, blase about it. And what's more fun and why the Adams Family Values became more of a cult movie, I think, especially among like us, like people who like despised mainstream conservative culture, um, is that Adams Family Values features them actively looking at like white, rich, yuppie culture and like being being disgusted by it, being disgusted by it and finding it to be this. Uh, uh, this 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 vile aberration, and they're trying to be polite about uh, this bright sunshiny group of yuppie kids all wearing yeah. their their seersucker jackets. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to be, and they're trying to be supportive of their children. But they, at the end of the day, they end up 
supporting their kids no matter what because they believe that their kids want to be there Um, yeah and that's what so that's what the original show i think hits and why i like found it very charming also the original show is like has a very funny wry sense of humor for the 60s yeah it is hard as the 90s movies obviously um the monsters is not that funny like fred gwynn is very charming and cute but like yeah yeah i i agree yeah the monsters was never really that that i i didn't love it i see i saw it a couple times on like tv land or nick and night or whatever it was but you're right the crux of that show is that they know they're weirdos and they're trying to fit into 60s society right which is inherently a less interesting idea than the adams family which is the whole crux of the show like the two episodes i watched and as i've read like you know if the flintstone central gag was that we're going to do the honeymooners, but everything is prehistoric. And, like, that's all. We have visual gags galore and stuff like that. The Adams Family's entire crux is, like, they think everyone else is a bunch of weirdos and abnormal and have odd concepts. And they are the accepting people who, while they don't understand their neighbors, they're their neighbors and they'll do what they can. And that... That is really why, like, the show was remarkably funny for a 60s show for me. Like, I I enjoyed both episodes I watched. Spoiler alert, when I watched the Beverly Hillbillies for the first time, I cannot say the same thing. And I'm sure, like, I've seen Flintstones episodes. Like, they're I enjoyed it more than the last time I watched the Flintstones episodes, for that matter. But, like, that's a good hook. A good hook that your central characters are, as the audience knows, like, they they're, they have a, you know, just a, just a hand and are, like... You know, these odd, kooky people, but they see themselves as uh, as normal, um, as loaded of words as that is. And everyone else is kind of a little bit odd, and they're trying to be accepting of them, which is a great hook. Now, what's interesting is that part, this, re- this movie actually was a complete nightmare to get made. Uh, it's kind of funny that we basically haven't had a Munsters movie because so both the Munsters and Adam's Family run 64 to 66, oddly enough. They both get canceled after two seasons. Neither of them are a big hit on television. Uh, the Munsters takes off in syndication and the Adam's Family disappears. Uh, and so when they try to get this movie made, they had some real budget problems because the idea was is that well, no one, like, they're not as popular here in the late 80s, early 90s as, like, a Munsters or something like that. So why are you focusing on getting the Adams Family made? And, Peter, you're never going to guess. This is going to fucking blow your mind. I, like, just, like, watching it, you're like, how could that have worked? I don't understand it. But you're never going to guess who was signed on to originally direct this movie. Um, Tim Burton. Yes. <laughs> Um, that's not an inference. He was originally signed on to do this and had to, he dropped out due to getting the approval to make his dream project, Ed Wood. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy we're in this universe. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, stuff, Ed Wood like, is Tim Burton's best movie. These movies are, are fine. Even though like 1991, Tim Burton is working with different things than, and 93, Tim Burton is working with different magic than, say, you know, 2005. Uh, Tim, Burton Tim Burton would have no cool cachet if it wasn't for Ed Wood, I think. Um, Ed Wood is, like, the central pinning for why film dorks, like, just keep Still, coming yeah. back, keep coming back, keep coming. Like, why I was like, I was like, Big Eyes, this is going to be as good as Ed Wood. It wasn't. It's not very good. I think Big Eyes is the only Tim Burton. Oh, that and Dark Shadows, which I guess this is another, like, oh, I always wanted to make that gothic horror TV show adaptation. 
Uh, but I, I never saw either of those. But yeah, so he was signed on. Had He dropped out when he got his dream project. Um, and they go to someone who had never directed a movie, but was a cinematographer on a lot of famous movies, Barry Sonnenfeld. But Bar- I think that's the other reason that you have uh, Barry Sonnenfeld, why the, why the first one feels a little more staid is because, like, Sonnenfeld is not their first choice. He knows that. They want him to make a Tim Burton movie. It's his first directing gig. I think he has a little bit less feeling of, like, I need to, you know, I need to make a Tim Burton esque movie as opposed to a Barry Sonnenfeld movie, and that's why, like, it's I, I do think that Adams, the the Adams family is closer to tone than a Tim Burton movie, while Adams Family Values feels a little closer to tone in something like the first Men in Black movie. Yeah, uh, and I'm like, I didn't realize until we had scheduled this show that. I actually have like very warm feelings for Barry Sonnenfeld movies, um, which is Barry Sonnenfeld is like kind of known as like a for a higher kind of director. Um, he I absolutely love Men in Black one. Yeah. Um, I love Get Shorty. Yep. I love both of these Adams Family movies, even though like Values is like the one I actually return to. Yeah. Um, but like. You know, like, Men of Black 3 is also, like, a pretty respectable sci-fi movie. Like It's it has okay. Some, I mean, and I like, I kind of like Big Trouble. I Men of Black 2, but Men of Black 3 is pretty good. I kind of like Big Trouble. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's, it's not awful. It, that's one of those movies that was, like, harmed by 9-11, right? I don't want to blame it all on 9-11. <laughs> I don't want to blame it all on 9-11. <laughs> it's, it's actually very sad that the last Barry Sonnenfeld movie is, without looking up, do you know what it is? I know, it's, it, I... I, well, I looked it up, so but I know it's very sad. It's Nine Lives, which is the talking cat movie starring Kevin Spacey as the talking cat, which is, I actually now, like, okay, so there's certain Kevin Spacey movies I could see myself, like, revisiting. Like, I could see myself revisiting Seven, because, like, it's such an amazing film. I love David Fincher as a director. Yeah, Seven's I Also, he's an asshole. I, was, like, I haven't seen it since I was 17, and most importantly, exactly, Kevin Spacey playing a monster in it a mo- he's in it monster. for like the last 20 minutes yeah but uh, i couldn't i couldn't revisit anything where kevin spacey is supposed to be a cute lovable cat he's you know he just works too much <laughs> see what you're saying is that probably we're not going to do american beauty month for a variety of reasons anytime when we left watch. no we're not we're not going to do that but i will say that like it is very weird that barry sonnefeld uh, has made a bunch of movies that I'm actually very attached to. Um, he really has a fun bouncy a, a, a for hire blockbuster director. Yeah, he he really has a fun bouncy sensibility. Um, but yeah, so the, the, him getting as like a for hire director is actually fairly remarkable here because um, he he worked, I mean, he done some cinematography in some really good movies. Yeah, uh, he, but he gets he get he, there's such a there's such a rich. Um, there's such a rich, like, uh, of branding to this. There's such a rich vibe to the first Adams Family movie. Like, he figured out what he wanted this world to feel like, to look like. He had these, these broad sort of, um, uh, um, what are they called? Like, um, uh, for certain shots of the house, you can tell it's, like, animated, like, illustrated pictures, um, in the background, um, the fact that, like, he added the right amount of, like, he, he knew he wanted the right amount of aging in the house, or it became this, like, haunted mansion, but it has this weird haunted mansion where you're like, I'd like to live there, that sounds kind of cool, um, I might get murdered there, but, like, you know, uh, 
there's such a rich tapestry of what this like world is and how that most importantly, and this is something that Tim Burton does a lot of how that world clashes up against um, the exterior world. So when they're staying in the motel in the first Adams family movie, the like little touches that they do to show how they've like made the hotel room, the motel room more goth. um, But also how like, fruity uh gomez eating fruity pebbles looks inherently hilarious yeah and i think that's something that they get is really the meat of these movies which was the meat of the show too the contrast in values right because you just spend a lot more time not just in the mansion with people coming to them but outside in the world and and obviously the whole plot uh with uh you know the the christina ricci and um her brother, I forget, I don't know the actor's name, um, like is based on like, let's put these two out in the real world for most of them. Carolyn Thompson wrote uh, Edward Scissorhands, Night Baby Before Christmas, oh. and later Corpse Bride. Um, and oh, then... I guess I did kind of know that because they he like he brought his people in to do stuff for yes. this. Like, yes. he was like I said, he was hired and then backed out. This wasn't it... like uh, someone went, oh, you know, who'd make a good director, Tim, like he was he was gonna do it. And uh, Larry Wilson, who was the other screenwriter in the first movie, um, wrote Beetlejuice. Um, okay. He's one of the, one of the many writers on yep. Beetlejuice. Um, but uh, he also co-wrote The Little Vampire and co-wrote, like, Tales from the Crypt episodes. So, like, they brought in, like, people who had this spe- this specific sort of, like, gothic flair. People yeah. that, like, were actually interested in um the material itself as opposed to you know workmen and then they bring in perry sonnenfeld who uh you know is, is just he, he's largely just has a reputation as a work for hire director yeah it's cool though like he he tried to fit in with the vibe that tim burton had created by like messing up his hair and not talking to anyone <laughs> <laughs> now you're not even gonna notice it's not tim burton oh look what if what if occasionally i like talk about how uh, how much i hate the fox and the hound <laughs> um yeah the so second movie has the second movie adam's family values while we're there actually has like less of a pedigree um yeah. because the writer paul rudnick he wrote like sister act which is like a movie i don't think anybody really likes he wrote a movie called in and out that i remember really liking i lo- i really liked in and out have you My seen guess it in 15 years no Oh, Mike, like I, I said, I, there's no I way that 2003 movie, or whatever. There's no way that movie does not have problems. But uh, I remember really liking it when it came out. Yeah. And like uh, Paul Rudnick, who wrote Adam's Family Values, like Adam's Family Values is like a bitingly funny script. And in and out has that sort of quality where it is like joke by joke. Some of the jokes are very edgelordy. Uh, in both of them, um, but uh, ultimately the idea is like this is a sort of caustic and at times cynical family. Um, their sense of humor is going to be a little bit rougher, and their engagement with pop culture is also going to be a little bit rougher. They're not going to be like sweetly enjoying the outside world. They're going to be like, uh-huh. <laughs> that's like yeah. Their- I mean, it's def- there's. I mean, we'll get into it, but some of my favorite jokes is like how shocking of how like dark they are suddenly uh and then the movie moves on like the uh the uh, stripper in the cake 
uh, joke, which is like <laughs> I make I I I think I, I think I say that line. His reaction to that uh, all the time, like when something horrible happens, he goes. C'est la vie. <laughs> um, and then say that also the like, time. oh, your husband is such a lady killer. And he's like, acquitted. <laughs> oh, that, that joke is also like one that I, I have dropped a couple of times. Um, and it's about, it's not about the term lady killer because nobody under 70 says it. But it was something no. is like. Um, just the joy me. with which he says acquitted. acquitted. Like, oh, these aren't like joke stuff. He was charged with the murder of a lady at some point. And and like the joke is multifaceted yeah. after Adam's family because you can also tell that one of the things Gomez Adams hates the most is the legal system. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like the whole joke of him like um having like I actually have in my notes that one of the funniest things is that Gomez's first instinct is to go to the legal system like wh- why would that be your first instinct and then it cuts to the great great uh great cut of like yeah you you know like it's it's like the, Gomez that is that is like Gomez Adams trying to fit in with normal society he's like I understand that the rich people go to the police in matters like this because uh my inclination is to go murder somebody <laughs> that's my that's my soul is to go murder somebody but my inclination but like I, I'm, I'm told that what you're supposed to do the yeah. rules state in a modern society and like I think the fact that like kind of hanging out in the background of all of these movies is the fact that like uh, yes, they're rich, but let's park that for later. Is that they're outsiders? Some part of them knows that, even when they seem a little bit blasé about it. Um, mm-hmm. They are outsiders. They um, they understand that their their aesthetic and their sensibility is not the same as the other rich people that they tend to run in circles with. Um, they tend to find much of the the opulence of their their other rich friends fairly disturbing. Their family has an outsider status. Partially because they have a history of psychopaths, sociopaths, uh, murderers, witches, uh, you know, every every horrible type of person um, is is uh, has been in their family. And many of them, including Wednesday, which we're going to get back to, uh, idolizes like burned witches <laughs> in their family history. Yeah. And I have a question for you. Sure. Are the Adams family in these two films? Because I know Charles Adams would say no to this question. Um, are the Adams family depicted in these two movies evil? I would say no, because I think the the posit that you have to go into these movies is that this is a like again. I don't want to be like you know hot topic doc text, but the idea is that the banality and the the the. Um, the minuscule evils of society is actually worse. Um, So you have like them who are kind of transparent in the fact that they like some stuff who, which is, you know, maybe outside of the legal bounds, maybe eyebrow raising or outside of like Christian mores that our country was founded on. But they are like at, at, at their core, like these generous welcoming people that just have, quote-unquote tastes that are frowned upon everyone else in these movies that are not part of the adams clan for the most part are usually 
fucking like legitimately garbage people like think of dan hedaya or fester's uh you know fake adopted mom look at the summer camp yeah or or like or look at everyone in the summer camp from children to the parents to the counselors to joan cusack to the people that like aid and abed joe like it is this idea of like yeah they're evil but like have you looked at society? And the reason that works is because it's not like a laid on thick from a, like a Joker perspective or like society's the real crazy stuff, you know, but it, but it's, it's all there. It's like, like what is the measurement of evil in this universe? Is it greedy assholes who will just try to destroy a family or is it someone who, you know, occasionally uh, likes throwing an ax at uh, someone? <laughs> I think that's why these movies are so chewy and yeah. why I keep coming back to them is because I can't answer this question accurately. Like, I, I agree with you. There's something about, like, every time they go in the outside world, it is full of vile, evil, mean people. And they're, yeah. like, the kind, warm family. Even when the freak, freak extended family comes in from out of town, yeah, they are sweet, they're kind, they're caring. They're supportive of each other. They're so excited to see each other's weird babies. Like it's just yeah. a it's 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 a it's a thing where like they uh, they would never turn the cheek to they would never turn away from a family member needing help. Uh, and the outside world actively re- is repulsed by them and treats them like garbage, and they react accordingly. I would say the only really good argument against. Um, against them being uh in any way morally acceptable is that they do murder a sex worker in this movie well they and they there's alluded to a lot of murders and stuff like that oh there's there's a there's a mountain of bodies in these two movies that is just like subtext but again my point isn't to say that like Again, I think that's our actual society, which is why this I don't think this holds Ooh, are you cool. getting jokerified no i'm I'm saying the opposite like the, why the joker sucks is that it posits that like this is actually society, it's holding up a weird mirror to society, and joker's type the joker of that movie's reaction is like the only thing to the craziness i I'm saying that real society has ups and downs and good and bad people. And it's a lot more complicated than that. And yes, if there's a family who's murdering people, I would say they would be on the bad side. In the universe that the Adams family occupies, which is not our universe because all their shit that like there's not those things don't exist. Every person like it, it's my thing that I do a lot in movies. Like, I don't think this is a one to one with the, the world that we all live in. Everyone yes. outside of the Adams family clan is a is a fucking exaggerated capitalist evil nightmare of a reflection of what our real world is. And so I think under those circumstances, the Adams family are actually like, what's a few, what's a few murders in a world of these fucking, you know, monsters <laughs> like, um, and in the real world where the Adams family decidedly do not live, I would have a different answer to whether they were good or bad guys. But in the universe that the Adams family movie shows us anyways, I would say they're generally the good guys. Yeah. Even I, I agree, and I think it, it it is weird that in this movie, the most wholesome and functional group appears to be anybody within the Adams clan, and anybody outside the Adams clan appears to be in a uh, awful, dysfunctional relationship 
cops suck in this movie. I know it's a weird fantasy universe where cops are bad, but uh, cops suck in this movie. Like, nobody can act as, like, a moral ballast against the strange uh, uh, excesses of the Adams family. It's just a question I wanted to ask because I remember I was reading a description by Charles Adams about, like, what the family is. And it actually is, like, weirdly helpful because a lot of them have passed on. But one of them was they're not evil. Like, that was, like, a statement in his thing. And I was like... Yeah, the original show, some of the cartoons I watched growing up, um, because there were a bunch of cartoon adaptations, and some of them got in the way of making this movie, which is crazy. You know, all the way going up to the 90s, like, I was like, yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely not evil. You get to this movie, and I'm like, ah, but that's why it's so interesting to me, is because this seems like they take place in this deeply nihilistic, fucked up universe, where they're the sweet, warm family that is being preyed on by uh normal people who have predatory capitalism at their heart Mm -hmm. Uh, but with that let's go actually i'll uh, i'm gonna pause there for a second because we're probably gonna do the song or a version of it did you know that barry soundfield did not want to include the song and it wasn't in the movie because he didn't want he didn't want it to be like that he thought it was a cheesy 60s songs that would ruin the tone of his movie and the only reason he put it at the beginning is because they the whole trailer was built around the song and like the whatever the audience meter excitement for it was off the was off the charts with so the last minute he added it to that opening scene. Uh, it seems I, crazy. I, I it seems crazy, but like I love the idea that he's like, if I'm taking this shit over, um, I'm going to I'm going to draw some boundaries because he's like, I need to make this shit relevant. And, and if, if, and if uh, the teens, if they whiff. Uh, you know old people shit they're gonna run <laughs> like it might have been a business decision he's like if they associate this with their <laughs> parents like this family comedy will fall apart but then people got excited like by the snap because it's a catchy ass theme song i love that i don't know who i don't know if it's Sonnenfeld's business instincts but he's like no 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 people will hate that this needs to be timeless three separate mc hammer songs jesus christ uh mc hammer oh wait before we go to the adams family i just have to include this nugget did you know that um for the first movie michael jackson was gonna do a um music video where he shoots in the adams family house and there's like people trying to get in the house and and you know persecute him like he's a monster like sort of like a, a adam sort of like most dash, of his, like thriller tie-in kind of thing sort of like most of his videos from like the 80s on yes um he and then uh eventually they were like eh, yeah we're not we're not using any of this and michael jackson ended up bearing it because of uh allegations of child molestation and that's why in the sequel they decided they were like oh we have to say fuck you to we have to distance ourselves yeah from i noticed that like were they like yeah they, the heal the world thing is I have that in my notes. It's like, oh, yeah, that they're surrounding him with a true monster to make him happy. But anyways, we'll get there. Uh, I don't know how much time we'll have, but we'll get there. Uh, Peter, you ready to talk about a couple movies? The Whispers. Uh, Whispers. Yeah, let's talk about The Addams Family. Hey, Pete, where do you talk about these movies? Hey, Pete, <laughs> where do you see my it? <laughs> They do what they wanna do, say what they wanna say, live how they wanna live, play how they wanna play, dance how they wanna dance, dick and they snap a friend. They do what they wanna do, say what they wanna say, live how they wanna live, play how they wanna play, dance how they wanna dance, dick and they snap a friend. 
Now I don't mind being a friend and showing a little bit of flavor. But Wednesday, Bugsley, Gomez, Festa, man, them some strange neighbors. They do what they wanna do, say what they wanna say, live how they wanna live, play how they wanna play, dance how they wanna dance, dick and they slap a friend. I'm not going to give you a chance Thank to you. skip alternate taglines. I want to introduce myself as the alternate tagline delivery system. Um, Aaron. Yeah. No, I already did it. You don't have to do it. Aaron. Peter. Can you do what you're already going to do? <laughs> Great. What? What? The Adams Family. <laughs> I think if there's one song, is it weird? This is the time where it's just like put, put a put a guy with a song on the top of the billboards. Let him just just fucking run over your goddamn soundtrack. Like it worked for Prince and Batman. It will work for all other examples. And then for the sequel, they're like, that was a money train, baby. Like let's do it again. This time with tag team, not writing a new song so much. Yeah, as repurposing. tag team isn't back again. They're just they're not back again. They don't want to check it, direct here. it, or let's begin. Yeah, they're just like they're here still. Tag team, team. here still checking in, <laughs> doing the same song again. This time we say it with. Is it weird that the MC Hammer one is a hundred times better than the the tag team one? Um, it's not weird. Uh. They basically just, the idea, I love that they hired Tag Team and they're like, listen, we need you to write a song for the Adams Family. And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't need to go to the well. Don't bring us your lyric ideas for new songs. You can turn into like, hear that new track? Like, we just want to do that again. I, it, it makes you so grateful for the Men in Black and Wild Wild West era where Will Smith would be like, I'm writing a new song that is actually going to be more popular and in some cases make more money than the movie. Here, here's, here's the thing, though. You are forgetting, like, the Ninja Turtles movies both ends with raps. Go Ninja. About, go, not not go, Vanilla Ice. Go no. No, they end with, with other Ninja Turtle raps about the movie that you just saw. And I got to say, I agree. I'm not the first person to propose this. Like, I think you just recently sent me a meme about it, Peter. I do think there should be a law that every movie should have to end with a rap about what happened <laughs> in the movie that we just saw. And that's, uh, I'll be a one issue, like the amount of stuff I'll overlook from a candidate if that, if they're able to make that platform a reality is high. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I made a meme. Yeah. <laughs> and then I sent the meme out. And you know what? I was pretty proud of that meme because I stand by the truth of it. Um, and that's yeah. that, and that's that tag team song that, ra- that just wraps the entire plot of the Adams Family movies should be... Should they should have a version of that at the end of every movie? I want to see. Can you imagine, like, yeah, instead of like at the end of like Titanic, my heart will go on. It's like, you know, just like this is a story about a boat. <laughs> I, I bet you that would win. Would have won twice as many best original song Oscars. <laughs> they would have had to give them two. I think, uh, yeah, ideally, if they could all be a reworking of tag teams, whoop, there it is. I think. Like, I get that that might be asking for too much in my stock, in my Christmas stocking here, but, like, you imagine if, like, the end of Titanic was, like, Ocean Liners back again. Check it directed, let's begin. Watch out for the iceberg before you go. Now Jack and Rose going down soul. So, so cold. What's funny is, like, I know every lyric to Whoop There It Is, 
but I, it's very hard to think of uh, Titanic theme parody lyrics <laughs> on the spot. All right, but like, okay, so the Oscar-winning film Crash, um, oh yeah, is it, not a good movie. Um, however, Ludacris is in that film, and are you telling me that that movie wouldn't be incredibly improved by the end of the movie? Ludacris is like, move, racism, get out the way. <laughs> <laughs> black and white people getting along now what's your fan to see <laughs> uh yeah i think there should have been more of those uh but i do it, it's funny because like i would think i know myself pretty well look i'm never gonna be like an a new an mc hammer or a tag team track is like an actual gem and i'm only gonna like it ironically and based on those conditions i should like the tag team whoop there it is Adam's Family Values remix better, and I I gotta give it to the inane simplicity of oh, oh, the Adam's Family. <laughs> it's at least like it's at least like a, a low level '90s beat. It has energy. Uh, I was watching Adam's Family Values, and yeah, me too for and, this uh, podcast. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, um, I was watching Adam's Family Values, and the tag team song started playing. And I was kind of enjoying it, so I didn't, like, stop the movie, and I was taking taking notes. I was popping, like, looking at the credits. And then there's a second boring-ass song that plays after that. Yeah. And I was like, wait, people make fun of Tag Team? This could have been so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Anyways, what happens in the Adams Family, Peter? Uh, the Adams Family. Uh, they're a functional American goth family. They're goth Americans. Uh-huh. <laughs> And they, uh, yeah, wow. we'll have the cure end it with a rap song at least. <laughs> uh, imagine at the end of every studio comedy. Whoa, whoa, the Adams cure. family. <laughs> Just jangly guitars and that feeling like you need to cry. Um, yeah. so the, uh, the Adams family, Sans One Fester, uh, are, um, they're about to be bilked by their accountant dash lawyer um, who is trying to find a way to take advantage of the family. He's having money problems. He's having money problems because a um, matriarch of a crime group um, and her large uh, son who is uh, named Gordon. Um, large adult looks, son. If you want to picture him, picture him like uh, Fester, but with hair. His, her yeah. large adult son. Yeah, is uh Literally. is the muscle? She's the brains. Um, and is this the point where we park and we say that this woman looks, acts, and very much sounds like my uh dead grandmother? You say we park like I also had that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> or is this a later? You know, I, I didn't. I no, no. I'll tell you this. I I didn't have that in my notes. Yeah, yeah, we can park. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had a, a grandmother who was famously bad, and she uh, had the same. Her face, her hair, very similar. Uh, not a very nice person. Uh, I don't think she was a con man, but she was a Republican, which is pretty close. A Reagan Republican is basically a con man to poor people. Um, was um, so? Is your dad her large adult son? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would describe him as such. <laughs> as i am my mother's large adult son <laughs> uh, actually i'm kind of over the grandmother thing let's go um so yeah, we gotta um, go way quick we have a whole nother movie to talk about peter so um the uh the adams family are about to be um uh, conned by this <laughs> dr pinderschloss um 
uh, who is uh, an older crime, like crime con woman, uh, who's going to use her son Gordon, who she believes looks a lot like, uh, and Dan Hadaya also thinks this looks a, a lot like um, the Lost um, little brother of Gomez, Fester Adams. Um, hint, hint. It's because they're the same person. Um, they thinks they look a lot alike. So uh, this guy, this uh, guy Gordon Dash Fester, goes undercover as Fester in the family, uh, but is trying to get to the Adams family, uh, the family's uh, enormous wealth. Um, eventually, uh, which is enormous, they have just like doubloons. <laughs> They've got so many doubloons. I don't know where I don't know where one gets as many doubloons, but I guess that's why I'm not a member of the Adams family. No, then you know, woo woo. <laughs> I would know. Uh, so uh, the uh, Fester is sort of fitting in in certain cases, but also like very much like catching the eye of Gomez and other members of the family who are like, this doesn't seem like the Fester that has been described to me. Um, this, bull, this bill of goods that you've described to me is no Fester. And uh, so eventually Fester finds a way with Dan Hedaya, again, lawyer dash accountant. Can I just say in case we don't get back to it, the, that, hold on. Fester or Gordon the 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 kind of joke here that Gordon trying to be Fester is so bad at it because he is so like awkward and weird because he is actually Fester who is not good at pretending to be someone he's not and then thus the family's like oh it's Fester because this Gordon guy <laughs> trying to be Fester so does end up equaling Fester by how bad he is at trying to stay focused on being Fester is so goddamn good. Uh, it is it is like uh, Christopher Lloyd pulling off a true like uh, uh, like acting hat game where yeah. if he didn't pull this off this movie would have been sunk because half of the movie is this tension of whether or not Fester is going to be found out. And you're pretty sure the family already knows, but it still has tension to it because like they don't know enough to like try and murder this con man. So um, fun fact, cause I mean, I, this feels like one of those movies we're just going to shout out stuff as we go through the plot. Cause we're going to run out of time. So fun fact, the original script and the original shot of this film, uh, they don't tell you whether it was the real Fester at the end. And most of the cast didn't like that. And so the cast, uh, the person who was most passionate of Fester being um, actually, um, actually Uncle Fester, or this Chris Lloyd's character actually being Uncle Fester, the cast nominated to go talk to Barry Sonnenfeld about how important it was, and that cast member was uh, Christina Ricci, uh, who convinced the director that uh, they should they should just say yes, it is Fester, and make that abundantly clear at the end. And they changed the ending, and they changed the script. One cast member did not care either way, and that cast member was Christopher Lloyd. Um, and like Christopher Lloyd is someone who, like you know, we were talking about Barry Sonnenfeld. Christopher Lloyd yeah. is someone who, like, has stated like, oh, I I loved Fester, I loved the Adams yeah. family. Like he, did I just think it's funny. He's like, well, either way is fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Christopher Lloyd is like he's the definition of like the character he's a king of character actors yeah. right like he, he he can do whatever you ask him to do you want him to put on like there were a bunch of actors were complaining like Carol Kane who's obviously amazing but she was complaining about putting on makeup in, in the sequel and Christopher Lloyd was like 
Yeah, I mean, it, people mostly put me in a lot of fucking makeup and a fat suit and a yeah. crazy hair and like <laughs> people mostly just put me in crazy shit. I don't. I, it didn't really feel that crazy. Um, whereas like uh, Carol Kane was like, oh, it's miserable. Yeah, this it's between fucking Commander Core or whatever from Star Trek Three, Cruise, Commander Cruise. <laughs> It's good. He is good. He is good. It's good Christopher Lloyd casting because you know he'll sit in the chair happily for three hours. Um, so uh, Fester and, uh, you know, Dr. Pindersloss, Dan Hedaya eventually take over the house. Um, the way that, it, but they can't figure out how to get in the safe. So they eventually kidnap Morticia. The whole family is living very like depressed in a motel as like Gomez is just like slip, his sanity is slipping away because he's lost yeah. his family. He's been betrayed by who somebody who thought was his brother. Very stressful. Um, and then this this uh, kidnapping of Morticia awakens that sort of like adventurous uh, dark energy in the whole family. And they go to the house to fight for um, the soul of the family. And at this point, Fester kind of knows that he is Fester. Gordon yeah. kind of knows he's Fester, uh, if you want to switch the parlance. And uh, so he eventually helps uh, his actual family uh, to kill Dan Hadaya and his uh, adoptive dash, um, you know, brainwashing mother figure. Uh, yeah. And I do think that the best scene of this movie, like, so we talked about this, this movie is definitely has a, like a, it's a great cast. That's actually something that's pretty consistent about all the movies that we're going to talk about, like just Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, Christina Ricci, um, Christopher Lloyd, just just uh, just amazing casting that just really embody the characters that they're playing. They're playing. Uh, I do feel like the standout scene of this movie, which is the scene that I think as you watch this movie and know what's coming in the sequel, you go, oh, they got that this was, if not the standout scene, then one of the standout scenes is the is the play. Oh, yes. The play, which I think I, I – oh, okay, so – I, I, I wasn't able to find out any evidence of this. Maybe I'm just wrong. I think the play might have been cut out of the TV version. Because it's... So, oh. Yeah, oh, because it's so gory. It's yeah. so gory. Because, like, I was watching it and dying laughing. Um, But I have a theory that, like, I haven't seen this in its full version since, you know, maybe once as a kid at a blockbuster rental. Yeah. <laughs> because we would just watch it on TV. And on TV, they would presumably, you know, there's a TV cut that edits out some of the sex stuff. And, and definitely yeah. a scene where the kids are hacking each other apart and blood is spraying Just everywhere. blood is gushing. But you really see, like, that whole scene, like, I, I, I do think it's the funniest and best scene of the movie. It really hits where the Adams Family, like, as a concept and as a, as a show or a movie sings, which is all of them have to go to a elementary school play. Filled with the type of people that you meet at entry elementary school play, uh, parents of kids and teachers, and um, you know it has all these like great little moments of like um, you know uh, uh, her uh, uh, Wednesday's teacher going through and showing like hey everyone had to do their heroes and yeah like kind of concerning that Wednesday here's this like uh, uh, detailed melting witch you know as opposed to like fucking like some people said george hw bush and then your daughter wednesday and morticia's like so proud uh, about it and that all those little moments of them running into other parents running into teachers that are like of quote-unquote normal kids and their interactions and the way no one quite knows what to do 
is so good culminating in again the funniest scene which is all these there's all these different like play scenes and everyone's relatively bored and then wednesday and pugsley have this like part of shakespeare that is like reenacted in gory detail where they keep cutting hacking off limbs and it's like fucking monty python of just blood spurt to the point that at the end of the scene the entire audience like they were at a fucking gallagher show (laughs) is covered in in red blood like every inch of them is is soaked and it's so, every part of it is so funny and like you can really see them going like oh this is where we're singing and or at yeah. least the scriptwriter of values is like this is where they were singing let's do that all the time in values yeah yeah you're totally right it's also one of the few times where the kids have like agency and power which i think is yeah. like actually when the movies shine because i kind of like i kind of like gomez and morticia as like domesticated evil yeah they're functional in their in their love and they're trying to be like good responsible adults but like the kids are the agents of chaos like i feel like that actually is like weirdly a more traditional take on this but like it works better because the kids in (laughs) the kids in the first movie a lot of the jokes about the kids in the first movie are just fixed in the second one there's a whole joke in the first movie about how um the kids are playing with a guillotine and a doll and that's like not a very funny gag but in the second one they have a baby to play with it they read out this entire french uh, revolution style uh missive about how uh their <laughs> yeah. baby pubert is a enemy of the state the baby pubert gets put on um this like mary antoinette dress they yeah. play a little like uh not, not i forget what the term is but it's a little like french like liberty song um and like that's what i was talking about earlier with the the, the, the the sequel seems a little bit more limber and more liberated um pardon the pun with the french revolution thing but um it seems more limber and liberated because they basically just like redid that gag but they the camera moves more and there's more like sight gags and sound gags and yeah. like the cam the camera will do strange close-ups whereas in the first movie which is not ugly to look at it's actually no. a very handsome movie it has a yeah. great great feel um it tends to be usually wide shots of their beautiful sets whereas in, in values it's more like let's get in the action like this is a vibrant family that something is always happening they're always somehow destroying the house or each other let's go for it yeah exactly and the the sequel really fixes even the idea of like you know how do we ha- have them have conversations like it, it it knows to like double and triple up on the moments with them there's a great scene in values where they're talking about uh you know that that by having a new kid it means that um one of them has to be replaced and killed, right? Like, and and Christina Ricci and as Wednesday is like, you know, they now have another son, so they don't have a daughter. So that's probably going to be you. In the first movie, that conversation would have sufficed. The fact that they're having it while they're sawing off the guardrails of a stairs, but not all the way so that when someone leans against it, they're likely to fall. And no one ever comments on that. They're just kind of like, going through their business while having this brother and sister conversation about like being replaced by uh, a new baby except in this case the replacement is literalized because it's the adams family and they're not just having the conversation they're doing it while potentially setting up a situation that will horribly maim or murder someone yeah that's the thing about the movie is that they're all kind of behaving as if like 
that they intend on murdering each other. And I don't know if it's a trick of fate or the fact that they're goths and cannot die, even though they're fine dying. <laughs> they all are like very, actually very comfortable dying in horrible manners and they want to have a horrible, violent, awful death. They all, it's sort of like uh, perfect sadism meets perfect masochism. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like Gomez's um, eccentric romantic view of death as this romantic uh uh obstacle to conquer uh meets morticia's sort of like low simmering uh <laughs> cure like depression um and and those two kind of meet and they reflect on the kids because um wednesday is more of like a low simmering sort of uh vibe and pugsley is more like enthusiastic he's like I'd like, oh, you're going to electrocute me? Fine. Like, most of the jokes from the first movie about them murdering each other, though, are grand, or, or jokes about suicide in the first movie, are grandly improved or made way funnier in the second. Yeah. Um, but in a way where it's like, if Adam's Family Values, Adam's Family Values never would have been able to be made. Like, Well, of course not. Yeah. But I think, like, a good example is, like, in the first one... It's just hard to get the vibe, right? Like, there's a scene in the first one where Wednesday is, again, because the whole thing is Wednesday and Pugsley keep having these, like, are they playing games or are they actually trying to kill each other? And their 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 games are just, uh, you know, uh, very dark, fitting the, the type of family that they are. But there's, like, a scene where Christina Ricci is walking through the kitchen and Morticia, like, she's walking with a knife and he's like, is that for your brother? No, no, no. And then gives her a bigger knife. That is a funny gag. But it's a funny gag that just sits on its own. And again, leads you to that like, okay, what is the expectation that Morticia has for Wednesday? That like, this is part of their games and she supports their games. That like, they are at this age can stab and kill each other. And it doesn't. That they like, know to to torture and maim, but not to kill um, like it, it leaves that open question of the universe where in Amsterdam values, it's repositioned as exaggerated, typical sibling behavior in a much funnier way. They're not trying to kill each other. They're jealous of each other or they have sibling, sibling rivalry. It's not a game. They really feel like, you know, Wednesday is the oldest mentions that she feels replaced by Pugsley, but they eventually have come to some sort of like, you know, peace or truce through that process. And now they're being threatened by something else. So the way that they handle that sibling rivalry is like, you know, like kids in real life do that, too. Like, you know, I'm going to give the babies a toy that is dangerous for them because as my way of like being like, oh, what? I'm just trying to, you know, play play. It's, it's there. It's like why you never leave like a, you know, a three-year-old in a, in a, in a 12 month old in the bath for one second. Cause the three-year-old may try to teach the you know, one-year-old to try to breathe underwater. Like that's, that's real shit that exists with kids that are not the Adams family. So they take that real thing that exists and they make it that instead of like these innocent, like, oh, I didn't really know I was trying to help him breathe underwater. What if we throw him off a fucking roof? <laughs> Right. But it's 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 all within that idea of the Adams family are just like every other family's just, yeah, like hot topic golf versions in, in the best way. Um, yeah. And that's and why I, that's what makes that's why it works. Land, is it's not yeah. like a cutesy like, ha ha, I put your head in a noose kind of thing. It's like it's, exactly there's a sincerity to it. 
the first movie does the Flintstone thing. Like, what if we, sh- what if we, and I, I mean this in a much better version of the Flintstones, but, oh, they're macabre killers and murderers and, you know, monsters and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm going to give my daughter the bigger knife to do the murdering and killing. Whereas the second one's like, it's a family. And then everything that comes from that, it has to come from, you know, teenage rebellion, feeling like misfits at camp, uh, you know, except that the difference is, is that like when they go to camp in values, like normally the misfits at camp conform to the camp, right? That's the, that's the, that's the track of those movies. Yeah. Like they, they don't want to be misfits they they want to conform. They're left out, and eventually they make peace by like keeping some of themselves, but making friends with the rest of camp. And this does, you know, that takes that whole trope and just says, "What if they have no intention to fit in, and eventually lead more of the campers to rebel with them in the idea that this fucking camp and their parents sending it to it is bullshit?" Like it just has a perspective in a way that's less like visual gag, funny thing for kids to be doing. Uh, stuff like that. And that's why I like as much as I really do like the Adams Family movie and I do why values just takes all those things and goes, what if we what if we don't let the jokes on their own suffice and how goofy they are and kooky they are, but instead have a, a perspective? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's so let's, why let's, that's why let's I dive the, into it. Yeah, I think the the the, the um, sort of uh, unawares quality of the first movie is actually improved in the second movie by making them actively like almost repulsed by the normies. Repulsed uh, by the normies and more enthusiastic to who they are. Like yeah. they are so proud to be Adams at every point in Adams family values, right? Like and as a matter of fact, the central conflict of that movie is what happens when an Adams all of a sudden doesn't want to be an Adams anymore. Uh yeah. Yeah, let's let yeah, let's talk about Adams family values. Yeah. We don't, it's not a music break. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, you want to put a little tune in here, I wouldn't mind. Ba-da-da-da. Whoop! There's the Adams family. I was thinking like Midnight Rider. Sure. What happens in this one? Uh, <clears throat> Adams Family Values. So, um, Adams Family Values is, opens uh, with uh, the family welcoming a new member of the family, Baby Which is how the first one ended, cliffhanger, right? Like, you're, we're going to have another kid. Oh, yes. So, the first movie ends with a cliffhanger where um, Morticia uh, shows uh, Gomez that she's knitting a, uh, you know, like a baby's, uh, what do you, what are, you have babies, what do you, what do you call them? Nappy? Baby clothes. Baby clothes. Well, I wouldn't have come up with that. Um, so <clears throat> she is uh, knitting a <laughs> knitting a baby cloth uh, for a baby. The movie opens with them having uh, a child. Said baby. Said baby. Um, and uh, they bring the baby home. The other kids immediately start trying to figure out how this affects the power dynamics. So yeah. Pugsley and Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday is actually kind of goading Pugsley into helping her <laughs> yeah. kill the baby. Because... Pugsley now thinks that if there's three kids, he will die. That his yeah. parents will chuck him out of the door or murder him, um, which is obviously not true. But to, um, to, to Pugsley is uh, uh, easily tricked in the same way Gomez is easily tricked. It's yeah. kind of cute how Wednesday and Morticia are mapped on top of each other, but Gomez and uh, Pugsley are kind of mapped on top of each other. Like they're both kind of sweet. He's got he's got a little bit of fester too. Yeah, no, yeah, there's some fester in there. Uh, they're kind of sweet fools. 
Um, like they're very, they're very loving and loyal. Yeah. Um, and they will follow whatever their women tell them to do. So, uh, which is also kind of Fester. Um, so, uh, but Fester is a bachelor now and Fester is, is fully immersed in the family. They've, they fully accepted him and he, uh, you know, they're trying to figure out how to, at the same time, they're trying to find out love for Fester. They're trying to figure out a nanny situation for the baby. Um, mind you, I don't really know why they need a nanny because neither of them has jobs, but well, I mean, they, they let, but they need their time, right? They need a lot of Morticia. They're looking for a 24-hour nanny, and neither of them has a job. Oh, yeah, so they can they can honk and maybe make more babies. Um, the family burns through a bunch of uh, nanny interviews that are all very funny. Um, oh, yeah, speaking to that idea of, like, the more the more interactions with the real world, the better. Like, yes. let's have them interview nannies. Uh, 100%. And uh, they eventually run out, and they run... Uh, <laughs> um, they eventually run into... Uh, Debbie, um, who is a, uh, they don't realize it, but Debbie is a black widow who hunts down rich men, steals their money, um, murders them, and then runs the account dry. So uh, Debbie is actually hunting for Fester because Fester has been popping up in magazines as like an eligible bachelor, even though he's like horrifying to look at. Yeah, he's Um, on Newsweek's cover. Yeah. Um, This is like. uh, A lot happened in the nine months from conception to birth of this baby. <laughs> what's the what's the what's the magazine cover? Lifestyles of the rich and unfortunate or something? Yeah, but there also is just a straight newsweek cover that says most eligible bachelor and festers on the cover. Yeah, because it implies that the Adams are uh, the entire clan is like hopelessly wealthy. Um and I'm, I was trying to figure out like what ethnicity they were to like pull from because like I was seeing Castilian, which is yeah, not sure. so, not something Transylvan- I expected. It's probably Transylvanian, right? At, but yeah, I see Transylvanian, I see Romani, I see like old world, <clears throat> like old world um, sort of uh, a wealth. Obviously, the Romani are more of like a nomadic kind of uh, ethnic group, but like, you know, um, people that have, but, but like, uh, you know, maybe uh, a group that was pushed out of Europe uh, due to, you know, <laughs> persecution or prosecution, <laughs> one of the two, because uh, they're, they're so uh, decadent. Um um so uh debbie enters the the thing and immediately starts trying to con the family kind of in a a one-upsman of the original film where she starts charming everybody except for the kids so she realizes that the kids need to be done away with so the kids are sent to camp chippewa um where they start immediately fomenting rebellion uh against the uh their awful um was it it, i'm martin ranger and i'm debbie debbie partner i'm Great, great casting too. Yeah, uh, we we can't we can't move on without calling <laughs> out that like yet another Christine Baranski film is yeah. now in our our hands. Um, and uh, and Yarmish uh, or whatever from Ghostbusters. Too. Oh he's, yeah, I, I forget his I forget his name, but he's in so much good '90s comedies. Janusz. Hold on, let's, uh, let's pull it up. I love how much Ghostbusters uh, too is a uh, Slavophobic. Vigo. Where are you from originally? The Upper West Side. It's a good accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Peter uh, uh, McNichol. Yes, who is like a very gifted, silly comic actor who made a lot of money on Alec, Alec McBeal. And then I, yes. I, um, I really... And then he was on Veep and stuff. And he was like, on Chicago he, Hope, too. He, he really had like... I, uh, 
he, he had loaded. like he was on numbers for five. He he found his 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 money making space. I hope for that loaded. I'm happy because yeah. he is he is like he these movies are kind of an expert delivery device for um character actors and comedic character actors um and i i genuinely hope that that guy is like very rich and can do yeah, whatever i mean he i wants. would imagine he's he was on network television from like 97 to or no sorry 94 to 2010 16 no oh, oh, sorry 2011 6 17 years you're on network television, like big shows. He's good. Peter McNichol can have one to two Tevies come and steal his money and he'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, um, I think he, honestly, all those shows are just like this, like, soup of mediocrity. Like, yeah. he can, he's fine. Anybody can dip in whenever they want and get, get a payout. I don't fucking care. Like, I remember people being mad at Nathan Fillion for just, like, doing weird guest spots on bad shows. And I was like, are you paying Nathan Fillion's mortgage? The guy has like kids and shit. <laughs> like, like he tried to do Firefly and they canceled it. So now he's now he's Frank Castle or whatever the fuck his name is on that show. Yeah. He's uh, a writer. He's got chemistry with a detective who's using him and his detective novels to solve crimes. Just accept it. That's what America wants. America wants a man. America doesn't want casual space Chinese racism. Yeah, you know, like, I like Firefly, but maybe it's good that we don't have that show right now. He's Castle! Uh, Let him be and he's Castle, castle. and uh, Joss Whedon is an asshole. He's an asshole? Yeah. And then, castle you know, and asshole. He's a Castle asshole. Um, so, uh, uh, Debbie sends the kids to Camp Chippewa. They immediately start fomenting a revolution against, uh, the camp, particularly. They, they, they recognize that Mercedes from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is someone who needs to be taken down. They refuse to participate. And David Crumholes, who is, like, the, 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 the 90s nerd, uh, who, like, you know, is allergic to everything, wears glasses, immediately uh, finds a kindred spirit in someone who's like, hey, this existence that your rich parents are keeping trying to conform to, you don't have to live like this. I, I love that. I love that we're just going to slowly do every David Krimholtz movie. <laughs> <laughs> We've done Santa Claus. Santa Claus 2. Is you he in Santa to, Claus 3? Uh, no, uh, but we did talk about doing Down and Out in Beverly Hills. We talked about doing... Um, and we talked about doing, uh, 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 uh. We only do the Baby Crumholtz movie. Yeah, we only do Baby Crumholtz. We had talked about doing one of the Harold and Kumar movies, and he's in at least two of them, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, David Crumholtz, uh, is kind of taken in by Wednesday, um, and, uh, they break out of the camp to try and go back home to warn the family that Debbie is, uh, you know, a black widow, a creep. Um, yeah. Because they've discovered via David Krumholtz that she is a black widow. They they spot her from a previous murder in a previous disguise. Can I just say how good it is, since we're going to get into this, that, like, first of all, the entire conceit of this movie is so goddamn good. What if, like, you know, So so I Married an Axe Murderer's plot, which is from around the same time, is hinged around this, too. This idea of these black widow, like, serial killers. And I'm sure it was on a million different shows that is well parodied here. Um, America's Most Disgusting Crimes, hosted by Peter Graves. Um, and I love the idea of that concept of a serial killer running into the Adams family, who is nothing but supportive of her 
and her lifestyle choices throughout. From from what like she can't kill Fester because that's the whole thing with Fester. He's a bad apple. You like he knows immediately what bombs are. He thinks that throwing a fucking you know iron into the the bathtub is foreplay. You know, like you can't kill him. But also, every time she explains himself herself or makes these decisions of like i get it you got like when morticia's like i get it you have fester in a psychosexual control situation i respect that but debbie pastels yeah i know like that's that's the part that she has a problem with even at the <laughs> end when she's tell- aesthetic not moral <laughs> yeah when she's when she's telling her story at the end, while they're all in electric cha- chairs, no one's like, get me out, save us. They're all like, yeah, no, everything you're saying tracks with what we believe. It's such a fucking masterstroke of an idea of what if you have a villain who's trying to destroy the family and kill everyone? Oh, but by the way, that actually is 100% in line with where the atoms are at morally. <laughs> um, 100%. And also, like, I, I wrote this down, like... Also, 100%, uh, I love that Debbie's slideshow at the end is kind of the best version of villain explains their yeah. their motivation speech, which, like, it's been done dozens of times in Bond movies. It's almost always very boring. Instead, I'm like, yeah, you've got a weird scar and clearly daddy issues. Or, like, yeah, you're really hot and but like you won't have sex with james bond but you kind of like want to have violent sex with him all right like i don't need i don't need like like oh you're james bond's old partner like i don't need like any of these like these like explanations really uh and then i get to debbie uh running through this series of uh ex-husbands that she's murdered and you get this sense that it's somewhere between her understanding that she's evil and she's just coming up with an excuse before she murders all these people. And also Debbie trying to morally justify her position. And it's like so much funnier and richer as a piece of text than like kind of any of these speeches that I've read, I've seen in these movies. Well, I'm usually the, by the, the time I get to the end, I'm yeah. like, I don't want an explainer. Don't explain. Well, hold on. But the, the genius is, is that she tells what happened. The family she's about to kill keeps morally justifying her behavior. Right, it's every, it's more. Yeah, Granny is like, and Granny's like, and she he never had time for like they. She's not explaining why the thing the serial killing that she did was actually good and justified like a normal villain. The family just hearing these stories is is verbalizing their justification for all her actions and even justifying all the murders she's about to commit to to them. Like they are like they're happy with how it pans out at the end. Uh, but there, no one is like, it, it's just like a twist of fate. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll go on then. Like, well, well, our baby did this crazy thing. Like it is, it's so good. This idea of, and that's why I think mentally I remembered them staying together at the end, because what is interesting is that Fester and Debbie are actually the perfect couple because here is someone who wants a rich husband who she can kill. And Fester is a rich husband. Who will wait on her every need, which she keeps saying she didn't have from these senators and doctors that she killed. Also does not mind being uh, attempted murder on him every once in a while. I think that's why in my head, I and I haven't seen this movie in at least like 10 or 15 years or whatever. Uh, besides like watching it at your bachelor party when we were also playing poker and drinking and stuff like that. But um, 
I think that's why, like, in my head, they end up together because they're, like, they're kind of a perfect fit for each other. And on top of that, his entire family accepts her as not a villain. It's just like, yeah, we we get everything you're doing. They actually everything like her better once she comes clean. She doesn't, they don't yeah. like her as a, um, an opaque kind of, like, a con man. But as soon as she comes clean about her intentions, they're like, hey, you know, this is how I go out. This is how I go out. Respect. Yeah. I love I love when I love when Debbie is, is showing that she murdered one of her husbands with an axe and Granny goes, takes me back. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> she like she has never been in a situation where she is more accepted or found the perfect person for her. And that's why I get in my head. I'm like, it's almost like uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, too. So apologies if this movie is like considered not good for a variety of reasons, either. Uh, either from an offensive uh, perspective, but like it's like a secretary situation, right? Like the Spader Gyllenhaal thing, where like the whole thing was like, yeah, one's a sadist and one's a masochist, and they fit together perfectly. Yeah, F- Fester and Debbie are like perfect for each other uh, from every perspective, and it's actually like it's a shame that Debbie couldn't realize that before she accidentally got got turned into a, a rough, fine powder. Yeah, um, frankly, Pubert, I think, will eventually, I think Pubert will eventually regret his choice. <laughs> um, Great name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I love Pubert. It's disgusting. Um, I, I also, like, let's talk about Pubert, just get it out of the way. Like, Pubert is, like, such a red flag for, like, producer notes. We need to add a cute baby to the sequel to appeal to a younger audience. You need to tone down your dirty jokes. We need to make this just like a family that has some like dark interests, but they're still, you know, it's just a normal family. Like in- instead of all of that, um, it feels like they added pubert and then they're like, we're actually going to make a bunch of like really dirty jokes surrounding the baby, not about the baby, but surrounding the baby um, because you made us include this baby. Um, and the only thing that I think that is a downside of pubert is that uh, so there's a rebellion at the camp with Wednesday, which we'll get to um, right after this. Yeah, right um, after this. it's that. And uh, let's just talk about it now. So well, hold on. No, I, I want to finish your point because I actually have a, I have a point about the pubert thing. Yeah. So uh, that uh, the only thing I don't like about the pubert thing is that like he's going through his antics. I think it's cute because it's kind of like a 30 second thing. It's also like it's not quite a baby's day out thing. <laughs> Where it's yeah. this prolonged, very unfunny joke um, about a baby going on adventures. It's just like, it's basically one joke at the end. And it serves a purpose because it feels like the movie has been setting up this thing. Where this, this ba- will this baby be a member of the this family? Is a and then the baby, team, right? Then the baby pulls off its first murder before the baby can even walk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's one thing that I don't like about the baby. Is that it disappointingly reveals... That they didn't murder, um, the uh, the yuppies. <laughs> that they didn't murder. Oh, Ed yeah. Camp Chippewa because yeah, that baby, feels he like flies in the air. Note. It shows. He well, hold on. Plane. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't murder that one family. We don't know if like Peter McNichol and Christine Baranski made out. They were on a spit. So. They were. Yeah, I mean, that was out of control of the family at that point, right? Like Wednesday. And Pugsley weren't around the spit. That had just been taken over by the other campers that they led to rebellion. Uh, so I have a pet theory about the baby, though. I don't know if you remember this, and I watched a trailer to confirm 
So the Adams Family Values was not uh, anywhere near the box office hit. Like the difference between like, you know, $230 million and like $80 million, which is a huge drop for a movie a few years later. Uh, it was more, uh, had a higher review score, but like audiences just didn't go see it. And I, I think the baby's the reason. Like the advertisements uh, I remembered, um, and I, again, found a preview, a TV spot to confirm this. Uh, and I think the first teaser too had this was just like the scenes of the baby like running through the house like at the end of the movie and like the beginning of the movie where he's crawling with the mustache. All of the marketing showed like Lurch with the with the baby carriage and stuff like that. And so I think like all the things that you're like you would are red flags. I think audiences saw this and went, oh, what is this like a fucking look who's talking thing or a. Uh, you know, no thanks. Like, oh, it's a not realize. Like, I think the marketing and focusing so much of the marketing on the baby, um, really fuck them when it comes to audiences wanting to see it. Because has there ever been a television show or movie where they introduce a baby and people are like, now it's good? No, uh, like I don't know why they keep going to that well. Yeah, I, think I don't know. If, I don't know if audiences were that savvy then, but I could see audiences being like. I have eight to sixteen-year-olds who aren't interested in a yeah. Baby's that's what I out. mean. Like yeah, like I don't know if they were as savvy as being like, "When has adding a baby ever been good?" Like you and I recognize that, but I feel like the audiences would be like, "Oh, they made this movie that I kind of liked. Now it's for babies." <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly. Like the audience for the first movie, while it was families and stuff like that. Def- I mean, the the first movie was huge among like my friend group and older kids and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I, oh, yeah. I had no I, interest. I so many people growing up who were like, "Have you seen Adam's Family?" It's like actually funny. It, yeah, I mean, you're talking about an era where sequels inherently were kind of like, "Here's where they they give up almost immediately," right? And then followed by the fact that all the marketing is about a baby to a uh, to a um, movie that is like inherently not marketed towards the five six crowd. Like I, I think their marketing really just fucked them overall. I, I, that again, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything that supported that. But like, it's, it's a pretty big drop. And again, I just remember my own recollection of like, oh, this doesn't. So they made it about the baby. I don't care about that. Are you kidding me? I'm ten. I'm hard. Jurassic Park came out this year. Like, why do I want to see the baby Adams Family movie? Yeah, I'm too hard to walk to the movie theater. Oh, and it's about values. I don't like values at all. So <laughs> my parents I, talk about is values. I absolutely love that the title is riffing on the term family values because this feels like a movie custom designed to piss off um, the um, angry, angry conservative mom lobby. Especially <laughs> with the scene that targets the angry conservative mom and dads. Oh, yeah. Chippewa. Let's talk about that right now. Oh, real quickly, my favorite joke in the whole movie is is specifically targeting like a uh, sort of cutesy cloying uh, approach to childhood because this is not how I was raised. Like my parents didn't raise me with like the stork or the the, the like the oh um, tooth yeah. fairy a lot of shit. Like I got raised with Santa, but like most of that shit, my parents just I'd never believed in the Easter Bunny. Like my parents dispensed with most of this like this crazy bullshit. Well, your kids would have your older siblings would have ruined it. So yeah, maybe they tried to raise like my oldest sister Natalie 
and then um, that way. But like my parents like dispensed with shit that was just like too much work to deal with. And they were like, yeah, like we don't need to install in new bullshit software to you. We're already raising you Catholic. There's a joke uh, in the opening minutes that's like basically sets the tone for the whole piece. And it is like before they get to Camp Chippewa, it is telling you what the movie's going to be about. And a little girl, like extremely cute, looks like an extra on Full House yeah. is like, and then mommy and daddy and the baby stork, they all talked and blah, 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 blah. And then mommy and the cabbage patch. And then they had a baby. And then it cuts to Wednesday, who is now like a functioning actor and can deliver lines. Yeah. And Christina Ricci, she goes, oh, our parents had sex. Like, yeah, great. that is that is the movie that's warning you five minutes into the movie that this is not necessarily a movie for like kid kids. <laughs> and by the time you get to Camp Chippewa, like you've had your warning. Well, and the other thing that's so great about it and which really speaks to everything that's going to come later in the entire dynamic of this movie. In lesser movies, Wednesday would have corrected that girl. She doesn't correct her version. She just says, well, my parents did this. Like, and that is so perfect because that, you know, it's like at Camp Chippewa, she legitimately does not care what any of these other people think or believe. She has other th- ideas and thoughts. And if people want to go along with her, great. But she's not here to tell them that they're wrong, necessarily. Uh, but let's get to the best scene of the movie. Best scene of the... I would actually go as far as say the best scene we're going to cover all the month. 1990s. Maybe. All the camp like scenes are gold. Between this and like Andy Dufresne was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you seen the end of Congo with the, with the diamond lasers? And the okay, that was absolutely absolutely sick. Like you're watching this absolutely shitty movie, and that then was... and then uh, Laura Linney throws a, a diamond into a laser, and she's like, "You know what? Fuck gorillas!" <laughs> yeah, I came to find these gorillas. Oh, these gorillas! You know that just reminds me of another '90s thing. Like I I I fucking love. So my, we're going through the Jurassic Park movies because actually tomorrow night when we're recording this, we're, we rented out a theater, take the girls to go see Jurassic World. Yes, my kids are young. Yes, they love those movies. Uh, my three-year-old, all she wants to talk about is how we get to go see the dinosaur movie in the theater tomorrow. It's adorable. Uh, so, I love it. Yeah. they And she she's, she's like, it's going to scare me. And then I'm going to have my pillow and my blanket. She's all into it. I don't know what damage I'm causing, but they fucking love them. I watched, um, I, 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 I was the exact same age as uh, Elliot when I saw Jurassic Park. I assure you she's going to be fine. Oh, yeah. no, she, I mean, she saw Jurassic Park. She loved it. Yeah. I mean, sorry, for, for World. For yeah. World, I actually think, is a little tamer than some of the horror. I mean, World's not directed by Steven Spielberg, who's very good at horror scenes. It's, it's like a little bit, it's a little bit gorier, but it's not as scary. Yeah. Um, like, there's nothing like the fucking... <laughs> the fucking kitchen scene, right? Uh, so if they can survive that, whatever. Go, but um, go! I, the thing about those movies that, as an adult, I just am realizing how fucking funny it is. Is the whole all the movies are about like dinosaurs? Wow, the majesty. We have to preserve them. Maybe they shouldn't be around humans, but like you know, these are huge animals that we need to respect. And then when any time raptors come up, they're like. These guys are fucking villains and are bad and deserve to be in hell burning with the rest of this. Like, like their their idea of majesty and like, yes, they're predators, but they're animals just always like, it just falls away when raptors, those guys are assholes. <laughs> like it doesn't. It's so funny the way that they've uh, like the 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 it's not that they're just like, oh, there's this majesty, but there's a lot, you know. 
there's this viciousness. It's like, these guys are serial killers. (laughs) You're like, T-Rexes, noble beasts, kings of the jungle. They rule with an iron fist, but they're there. Velociraptors, they don't play by any rules. Yeah. Like, you know, like Muldoon in the first one's like, they should all be exterminated. And everyone's like, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is garbage. So, anyways, Chippewa, the, the um, Thanksgiving. Oh, oh, wait, there's hold on. Before we get to the Thanksgiving scene, there's a line that is like always so good, which is the like when they're doing the swimming thing. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. It's so good. Uh, and it, it feels like something that's out of time. It feels like modern. Right, it feels like the type of joke that you'd be saying, which is like the where where uh, I keep calling her Mercedes because that's who she plays in in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think like that's the, the actor's name too. Oh, yeah, it is Mer- Mercedes, Mercedes McNabb. McNabb. Yeah. yeah, sorry, it's not it's not her character name Buffy. It's her the, the, the actor's name where she is like, "I'll be the victim," and just the fucking delivery of Christina Ricci immediately, just boom, boom. I'll be the victim all your life. <laughs> It's it's it, it, it that is one of those lines that like I wish I could drop more often, but it just you know doesn't doesn't pop up. Um, it is so it is so good. It's it's so vicious. There's a there's a joke right before that that's like not very fair, but um, she's she makes fun of uh, Christina Ricci and what she's wearing, and she goes like, "Is that your swimsuit?" And she's like, "Is that your is that your overbite?" <laughs> <laughs> Like, Christina Ricci knows exactly how to target these girls because they're bullying her for her looks. And Christina Ricci makes this whole, like, ghost story thing about, like, um, how all these girls have had rhinoplasty. Yeah. I mean, that's um, the thing is, like, it, it's the it's the inverse of other summer camp movies because she is not popular but is in no way, like, that's the kryptonite to that type of, like, movie character, right? The whole idea is that they hold a power over you by being popular that even if you pretend you don't want, you do secretly want it. And Wednesday's superpower is that she doesn't want it at all and does not care. A hundred percent. And it is fascinating to me that um, the movie just decides that at this camp, there's two classes of people. There's the rich, pretty blonde kids who are just, like, so... So pretty and nice, and they know exactly how to play the system. And then there's all the freaks. And this movie is so prescient about a lot of things. And one of the things it's most prescient about is, like, A, um, that we are going to continue to whitewash um, Native American involvement in the uh, early colonization of the Americas. Yeah, yeah. And then B... Um, that, uh, throughout the days, we're going to continue to otherize any kid that doesn't quite fit in. Kids with disabilities, like kids with asthma, yeah. or in a wheelchair, kids that are not white. Like, there's a, there's a scene where Christine Baranski is trying to read the name Jamal, and she's like, Jamal? Whatever. Um, and, and then the, the joke ends up not being on... The, bl- the black kid, the little black boy, the joke is on Christine Bransky because you get to have um, Jamal be like, oh, fucking brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gets to roll his eyes at her. Um, and that's lovely. And then all of those kids are made into the Native American characters against their will. And that's what's so lovely and why the scene still holds up is because yeah. it's not people doing um, red face. 
No. It's a racist asshole putting on a racist Native American play called A Turkey Named Brotherhood. And he makes all of the weird kids be Indians, quote unquote, because he uh, thinks that, oh, the play will work better if the heroes, aka white people, are played by all the pretty young kids who who play along by the rules. Yeah, and, and all, all, the, all the parent audience members who are laughing at the 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 indigenous but like they're literally going like yeah like they're gonna be able to you know do the and it's like yeah the, you wrote a play to reinforce that you're better than like indigenous people from 400 years ago and all the parents are like self-congratulating themselves for being better than these other rich kids who are just playing these kids. Like, it's it's so good. It's There's so many layers there. And you're right. It feels prescient. It feels like another thing where, like, oh, this somehow feels more resonant in 2021 than I imagine it did in 1993. It's it's actually, like, really lovely. I like I love the fact that, like, they just force these kids, these outsider kids, into this outsider role, and they yep. intended on making fun of them. And then they're like, fuck that. This is a racist play. It's about, and then Wednesday gives this whole speech about like, uh, <clears throat> like uh, you drive stick shifts. Uh, we live in motorhomes, and you know, fight yeah. for table scraps. Like it's basically just like being like, we can't do this Columbus Day bullshit any longer. Yeah, we can't do this Thanksgiving bullshit any longer. We have treated these people like you dirt. killed us and marginalized us as people. Yes, and uh, we're not gonna con- like. On their behalf, we're not going to conform to your play, and we're going to like. It's one of those things where it's not, it's not like an end of inglorious bastard thing, which I don't have a problem with. But end of inglorious bastard is like rewriting history to serve a happier ending for everyone, right? On, it's on the ending level. we deserved was we Hitler, deserved Hitler getting fucking blasted to death by a, a bunch of uh, Jewish guys who had the will and the wit and the bravery to yeah. you know take revenge. And in this, with it's the not help them... of Jewish women, with the help yeah. of a black guy, with the help of other yeah. marginalized races. Yeah, being being his getting his like cinematic just desserts through all the people that he worked to exterminate. Right. Uh, again, the ending that history deserves, even if that's not the one we didn't get. This is them literally saying, like Luke <laughs> says, in lieu of justice being served by history. We're going to take this time to to hurt all of you. (laughs) And so, like, which is different. They're saying that, like, this is a facsimile being done in lieu of history actually working out in a way that was fair to all the people that you and your ancestors have hurt. And it's also still profit. You're you're still benefiting from. And it's a grand improvement over the Revenge of the Nerds style movies. And there were so many ripoffs of these movies. So I'm just going to use Revenge of the Nerds as a, as a, a, you know, uh, the, 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 the stand in here. Um, wherein, um, minorities and people in wheelchairs were just, uh, identified as nerds. Um, like those movies did not, uh, those movies just said, you know, yeah, you're just a weirdo for being black. Like, well, they actually did the, um, which I actually think is the problem with, with quote unquote nerd culture and gamer. Like everything that led to that is the idea that like 
Revenge of the Nerds and nerd movies like that taught the lesson of why can't nerds also be sex creeps and and, and assholes? Like, why can't they have the same power as the people who are marginalizing them? And Revenge of the Nerds is a fantasy about them gaining the not not overcoming the jocks but replacing the quote-unquote jocks yes yes and and um and they're like we want to become the bullies wherein uh this yeah, why is can't about, we bully <laughs> uh, where in this it was like they sorted all of the others into the other camp and now the others are fighting back um because of their understandable grievance which is like a totally different dynamic than the revenge of the nerd style things like it's actually like has aged pretty Pretty damn well, and like I yeah, think minus it, minus a bunch of whooping. Uh, yeah, but the the that's that's also you know tantamount to like, all right, you made us the you made us the Native Americans, you made us the quote unquote Indians. Uh, f- fuck. Then I guess we're we're putting on our, our our feathers and we're gonna do some whooping and we're gonna you know do some uh, stereotypical yeah. uh, Native American stuff. And I'm sure yeah, that there's I mean, other it, readings of this that like find it fairly offensive, but like. From a modern perspective, I was actually very happy with Wednesday's speech where I was like, oh, yeah, like this movie is about this movie is about how uh, society tries to other people. And if the uh, others got together, we could absolutely they could absolutely smash colonialism. I'm not assuming I would be part of that class. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, especially now you're one of the blonde kids, Peter. I am one of the blonde kids. Um, I'm a fat kid, though. Can I hang out with... I can Not carry me. Wednesday's tomahawks. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you were a kid, maybe. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it's such a great scene. I'm surprised how funny it is and how well it holds up. And it's also, like, I love how vicious it turns. Like, oh, yeah. sure, it, it PG-13s away some of it. It also implies that everyone died in a fire. Uh, and that the counselors were spit roasted and potentially eaten. And I'm very supportive of that. Extremely, extremely. Um, um, I I also I, love the last thing I'll say that I just really love about the movie is like a touch um, that actually feels like maybe giving too much of, of like a ten year old their cake or whatever you want to say. But uh, I like that. Uh, I like that. Uh, uh, somehow, somehow. Um, he ends up at uh, at the Adams house at the end, like he's gonna marry Wednesday. Um, yes. So let's let's get to that because uh, there's kind of a twist here where you think David Crumholtz is just as a, uh, a Jewish kid with allergies and has sort shitty, of a he dark, has shitty parents. Yeah, he has I don't a know dark pessimism. Um, yeah. You think that his dark because like there is a good argument that his like dark. Um, outsider status and his dark pessimism actually makes him a good fit for the Adams family in, in a weird way. Um, even though he's not totally uh, as on off the deep end of goth as Wednesday. Um, but there's a, there's like a argument at this movie that this whole thing has been her being inspired dash disgusted by the sloppiness of Debbie. Uh, yeah. And that her, she's like, now it's my turn to become the ultimate serial killer uh, the ultimate uh, l- a woman serial killer and, and, you know, sort of like make my ancestors proud, be be the crazy woman that... Yeah, because uh, remember, that- Debbie was not someone to be hated. She was someone to be pitied and admired. Yeah, be the person that, like, pubert's kids look up to. And um, I love I love the idea that Wednesday is, like, Debbie's problem, is that she was sloppy. 
and that this is just a, a origin story for Wednesday becoming a serial killer and that the series ends absolutely here <laughs> because the next movie would just be Wednesday murdering all of their neighbors. Yeah, it's it's really great. Um I uh yeah, uh the I just I really think everything this movie does at the end. I love that Crumholz puts on the Gomez. I mean, that's a little bit weird, I guess, except that I guess that, you know, if you're an Adams man, even if you're an Adams man through marriage, the whole thing is like how they know that the baby's an Adams is it has the Gomez mustache. So maybe it's a, a little less weird that like, Oh, in order to court you, I must look like your dad. It's, it's extremely, um, it's, 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 it's simp behavior. Um, mm-hmm. It's extreme, oh, yeah. it's extremely uh, all the men in the family they acquiesce to the women, yeah, um, which is also a very fun sort of like. Th- there's a reason why this movie has such a cult following among women, among goths, among anybody that feels like a nerd or an outsider. Like, and part of the reason is that like the men acquiesce to the women all the time, and yeah. and I love the idea of him being like, well you want to be Morticia or you want to be your aunt, I'm going to look like an Adams man. Uh, and she's yeah. like, I find it vile. <laughs> what did she say? It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it does the trick of like having her makes him go to Debbie's grave. And then I think the implication is that this is a trick that she set up to try to kill him uh, by being so scared as opposed to Debbie actually coming. Uh, yeah. Famously, yes. Debbie did not have an arm. Uh, yeah. Deb- Debbie got cooked. And this this movie does not imply that even if you can survive death, that you survive death intact. Oh yeah, uh, I and that's that's a, that's actually like why I love this final gag because it's 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 like riffing off of horror history. It's riffing yeah. off of movies like Carrie, um, but it, it has this weird understanding at the end of the movie. Like it could just be a funny goof, you know. Because nobody actually gets murdered in these movies. Or important of or, things to come. Or, yeah, important of horrible shit to happen. <laughs> and this is the end of the the, the Barry Sonnenfeld um, series. There is a sequel after this um, called Adam's Family Reunion. I watched a little bit of, just for the show. Which I, t- I told you not to. I said, do something else. Uh, I, I, I watched about 30 minutes of it the way I watched 30 minutes of uh, Viva Rock Vegas. And um, it's miserable. Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah being cast. The cast is great. Like uh, one of their uncles is the lead in uh, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, Daryl oh, Han- yeah. Daryl Hannah and uh, Tim Curry are both like, I think, well cast as Gomez and Morticia, but nobody did any character work with them. <laughs> so they just have absolutely no chemistry. Daryl Hannah is not synced in. She's just doing kind of ver- a very lazy like Vampiro. Um, yeah. And there's there's none of the charm that like Angelica Houston has this majesty this warm majesty where you're just sucked into her like like a vampire i know i said vampire but like like a vampire and they do this lighting dash makeup trick on her face where her eyes are always glowing like she's uh in a silent film uh it's something that like it doesn't matter how crazy ornate the shot is (laughs) morticia always looks amazing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and like yeah. even after she gave birth to a baby even while yeah. she's pregnant with the baby she doesn't show anything she's just yeah. this like just this highly angular hourglass figure which like you know in this kind of movie it gets a, it, it, it that's like part of the joke is that like nothing will affect 
Morticia's like you know sex appeal in that manner. She's not gonna. She's not gonna. You're not gonna see her sweating during the the birth. You're not gonna see her gain weight. Like she's just gonna be like this like lean model like vampire who will seduce you to death. Yeah, I yeah, and they really umped, uh, up up those shots in values, right? Too like it just happens a few times in in the Adams family and Sonnenfeld's like, what if every time we see her, it's the same like perfect lighting with like the the light on her eyes and stuff like that. I don't know how they did it in certain shots. Like I don't I don't know how they did it. There's a scene in a uh, this cave. Yeah, especially in like digital post production being in its infancy. Yeah, and there's this shot in this cave restaurant where uh, actually. Uh, going back to my point about this movie topping the the past movie, um, there's this scene with a the the uh, Gomez and Fester dancing this babushka scene, and it's like, no, it's like cute to see them like do this ornate kind of musical thing, but like it's not that funny. Um, yeah. And then they do uh, they do a redo in Adam's Family Values involving Morticia Morticia and Gomez, who Raul Julia and Angelica it's Houston, so they have. Yes, insane so chemistry yeah. their chemistry is so fucking good like you believe that they could start fucking in any moment in any scene like they just have to turn to each other and it could happen and there's a dance scene between them that like is sort of you know as close as a family movie can get and there's little like jokes about them making each other jealous to like increase the like sexual tension of it and the music is amazing it's in this amazing set and they just keep whenever they show you a close up of Morticia's face, she has that amazing lighting, and it's so. It's just it's 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 a uh, it's something that like yes, Tim Burton could have pulled that off, but I think Tim Burton would have made the sets more of a character than the characters. Yeah. Oh, I I mean that's hundred percent right. I actually think the first M's Family movie. I mean, especially because he like he basically staffed it with his writers and stuff. I actually feel like, and this is not meant to be a knock on Barry Sonnenfeld. I think that is equivalently or that's the equivalent of what we would have gotten basically for a Tim Burton movie. Like I, I I do think, um, you know, it's the same, it's the writers that Tim Burton pulled along to write the script. Um, Barry Sonnenfeld is clearly like they wanted a Tim Burton movie. I, I feel like the, 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 the dial on that first movie is, is pretty close to what we would have gotten, which as we noted is pretty to look at fun, but but overall fine. What we wouldn't have gotten is Adam's family values from Tim Burton, and that is really the kind of the gem overall of the of the of the whole series. Um, knowing that we are, it is late for me, and we are have been talking for quite a long time. I want to mention one little minor thing that I just find a little bit bizarre. So, did you know that the Adams family, like all sixties and seventies TV shows, had a catchphrase? Um, was it? It's a family matter. <laughs> Was it? Did I it's, do that? Yeah, it's it's call me Stefan Urkel. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, like it had a famous catchphrase. It was you rang, um, which was uh, delivered by anytime they called for lurch. He said his catchphrase. Um, but Weird. that catchphrase and like that catchphrase has been lost to time. Because in the movies, which are obviously now well, the like what people know the Adams family from, they decided to make Lurch not talk, and so like the Adams family catchphrase "You rang" 
disappeared out of time because it wasn't included for obvious reasons in any of the movies. So I just think that's that's it's kind of like if um, the Flintstones movies were the 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 most like what people knew the Flintstones of, and for some reason they decided not to do Yabba Dabba Do. Right? <laughs> like and so like it's it's the same thing. Like you like. When people talked about Adam's family, that was the kind of, it was, you rang, you rang. And both episodes I watched has, like, Lurch do that at big points with big audience reactions, right? But, again, they decided, Barry Sonnenfeld or the writers were like, yeah, it makes more sense if Lurch doesn't talk. And so, as such, the, the famous catchphrase was excised, although it was used as a tagline on one of the posters, which I find very funny, too. And, like, uh... And speaking of Lurch, like Carol Stricken, uh, Stryken, um, yeah. is plays Lurch in Adam's Family, Adam's Family Values, and then he is the only main cast member to return for Adam's Family Reunion. Um, and uh, I, I just want to point out something about Carol Stryken. You know who he is, because if you've seen Gerald's Game, Dr. Sleep, like he's great in those. If you've seen any of the Twin Peaks stuff. He's in that. He's in the return. Uh, he's in some Star Trek Next Generation episodes, too. He's an amazing physical presence. Yeah. He's seven foot tall. Um, uh, do you know where he was born? Uh, Transylvania? He was born at The Hague. <laughs> I, I never think about anybody actually sure. existing at The Hague. But the idea that this seven foot tall, very severe looking actor who is in Twin Peaks as a sort of like cosmic horror butler um all of a sudden is is uh all of a sudden is like uh born at a place that we only associate with where war crimes are prosecuted yeah i mean eventually he just grew up and and stepped over and left because (laughs) because he's so tall anyways peter this was a blast um I uh, I'm sorry that the next two weeks are going to be huge stinkers of movies. Very good episodes. Next week we have Bill Fox talking about the Flintstones, an episode we may have recorded in in 1997. Uh, so I'm very interested to hear all that. What what we said back then. Um, I think we did that around Christmas time. I, I imagine all of our ska references will uh, sit better with that audience. Well, yeah. Now that he's on tour, it's back, baby. Um, it, is, it is back, baby. And then, yeah, we're doing Beverly Hillbillies with noted enemy of the show, Marcus Jones. And then wrapping it up with uh, a couple great movies with The Brady Bunch. And if, the, if Mike and Carol Brady had wrapped it up, we wouldn't have to get into all this mischief. Actually, it, it really doesn't matter. They, they're not their bi- – like they had separate kids. And then they brought them together to form what I would call a bunch. Yeah, I meant like in general if they both wrapped it up. Oh, like with their previous spouses. And if they had not had children with their previous spouses, which both presumably died. Yeah, they'd just be, would be divorcees. One canonically married. dead. It's one sad. Of them, it's, it's hard to say. Just just two lonely people. First marriage just didn't work out in a giant house with a mate. You know, it's a classic bum, story. Bum, a bum, bum, bum. time. Uh, it's not a good Neil C. Sierra thing where it's just the, fir- the first part of the story without the kids. They come into the song and then it's just the music. <laughs> Sorry, of a lonely lady. Story of a guy named Brady. That's it. And Alice. That's it. And B. Davis. Good night. Oh, Good. yeah. Party time with the Adams family. With a little help from D.C. The Brain Supreme. And my man, Steve Bowden. Tag team. Adams family.
makes three. Wednesday Pugsley learned you ring. Fest up grandmama and thing. Wait, can't forget cousin it. Tag team rips another party hit. It's the Adams family movie thing. Gomez Morticia, come on, sing. for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explained to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> if you can't <laughs> uh if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>